welcome to another episode of Where They've Been. My name is Jeff. I'm here with my co-host, Zach. How you doing, dude? Jeff, I'm doing great. How you doing? Doing good, doing good, man. It is great to be here with you. I got my coffee. Yes, I know you got your tea, sadly. That's Unfortunately. True. My happiness is not here, but it's... I'm here. <laughs> but you are still here. I still in show spirit up. Spirit and truth. That's in true. Name. Mm, Come on, with somebody. Word. In speaking of spirit of truth, we had yes. an incredible man of God, and his name is David Smiley. Almost Dr. David Almost was Dr. on this David. podcast, and it was absolutely incredible. He brought the heat so many times, like so many incredible points. Just amazing, amazing podcast. Yeah. So it's a long podcast and I think it's worth it. It's so fun. He talks about so many different, like seriously, it's it's a master class in Hebrew, Bible, just everything he talks about. Unbelievable. Theology, just everything. Yeah. Yeah. So thanks again to David for joining us on this podcast. It was an absolute blast. We were up until I think midnight that night just talking. And he was up later because he's an hour. Uh, he's an hour ahead. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. it was absolutely incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks again to him. But without further ado, here's our podcast conversation with David Smiley. Welcome to another episode of Where They've Been. My name is Jeff. And today, for the very first time ever, as we have our special guest who we'll introduce in a moment, I have with me the lovely the sexy the bald zachary moore great what's up zach how you doing man feeling more bald and more sexy by the day absolutely and today the special guest of the hour is our friend from college his name is almost dr david smiley and he is a scholar in hebrew greek and uh, coding apparently as we just found out before we jumped on what's up man how you doing i'm all right how are you guys Doing good, doing good. But just way too excited. I feel way too smiley about this. Don't you guys feel way too smiley uh, about this? Are you like serious? he's heard that his whole life? Already. Like, <laughs> I want to slap you through the computer right now. And you know, seconds in already. Already. I mean, well, it's literally. Yeah. What if he just just got off right now? Just we just left. This is the shortest podcast. Yeah. Oh, well, he's good. We'd still post it just for the clout that we had an almost doctor on, though. <laughs> That's true. It's the almost doctor. Dude. Ooh. I feel like we have so many different things we could get into. I'm so excited to get into your story. Where are you at currently? I know your background looks like uh, Jerusalem, which is fitting, but are you in Indiana? Yes. So I'm currently uh, at the University of Notre Dame. I work as an administrator. um, Okay. And uh, I'm just sort of chilling around here before uh, starting a PhD in Hebrew Bible. Okay. So what, uh, I'm trying to think how far is Notre Dame from the Chicago line? Cause I work in Maryville, Indiana. Oh yeah. So we're like, um, I mean, we're pretty much an hour and a half East. That's what Chicago. I thought. So yeah, that's, that's awesome. That's crazy. Yeah. I was like Notre Dame. I totally thought you were way farther South. Mm-mm. No, okay. I mean, any further South you'll get into like Kokomo or Indianapolis. Right. So. Right. Yeah, we're straight east of of the lake. So, OK, Dude, how, how often how long have you lived in uh, in that area? Yeah. So uh, I guess we're going on almost four years now. I guess okay. we heard about them four years. So wow. I uh, came here after seminary. I went to seminary out in Boston at Gordon Conwell, did an imitative there and came and did the uh, master's of theological studies here at Notre Dame with the intention of doing a Ph.D. in Hebrew Bible. Okay. And uh, as I was finishing the MTS and as I was uh, transitioning into the PhD, 
my advisor suddenly passed away. So hmm. wow. that sort of, yeah. So that sort of threw a wrench in my fit within the department here. And because of that, I decided to take a break on top of, you know, I did North Central for four years. I did seminary for three years. I did the master's for two years. Wow. After nine years of schools, you know, consecutively um, with the outlook of doing another five to six years uh, for the PhD, I sort of was like, you know, I, I need to sort of take a break. <laughs> right, right, right. And uh, I was only supposed to be like one or two years, but obviously COVID happened and now we're expecting our first kid. So yeah. things, uh, you know, just are pushing it back a bit more. And that's, you know, in terms of where my yeah. wife and I are at in life, like that's totally fine. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, that's so cool, man. I had, so that's a lot of school. It's a ridiculous amount. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot. <laughs> um, oh, I, I forget how many classes. I, I totaled it up at one point in time, God. but it was a stupid amount of classes. Yeah, holy it, spirit rain. You, Come on. Yeah, so you're thinking like five classes times two semesters times nine years, right? Yeah, yeah. So, well, my North, North Central math tells me that's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Did you so, take math in North Central? Yeah, I got my general. I got like a B. Did you really? Great. Yeah, that's it's not about math. me, but that was a side note. I was because it was online. That's my only kind of math is taught in North Central. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Is it like? Yeah, you did like the multiplication table. Yeah. Is that what it is? Like it was the, pretty close. I, I wish I wish it wasn't, deep? but it was pretty close, man. Oh my uh, goodness, that's amazing. Yeah. So <laughs> multiplication tables, and he still had to use a calculator. Learn yeah, my nines real fast. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness, dude, that's awesome. That's a man. lot of school, though. That is, yeah. So obviously, has academics, academics. What did I? Yeah, academics. I, okay, has that been like? Was that something that was instilled in you at a young age? Is your you have a history of family, or is it kind of just you? We were just oh, bored so one day and said, you know what, I want to be an academic. Yeah. Uh, so I am 100% the black sheep of my of my family. Okay. Uh, I was raised in Southern Indiana, um, basically, and we we were so poor. We lived in a trailer park in the country. Like we oh, were wow. we weren't trailer park city rich. Like, you know, some of these people, <laughs> we were trailer park in the country poor. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And then, uh, so that's, that's so all that's a whole vibe, man. That's a whole vibe. man. <laughs> um, it was, yeah. It's like Joe Dirt, like that's, that's my family. That's what I was thinking. That's amazing. Uh, like that's, um, so everybody and not, and this is not a knock. I love my family. Yeah, like, absolutely. They are, they would they would give their the shirt off their back to anybody. Uh, everybody is welcome at the dinner table with them. Beautiful people. But in terms of uh, what they do for a living, everybody in my family, they're either mechanics, factory workers, or truckers. Sure. Yeah. yeah. A couple of farmers, but that's it. Yeah. So I, I, it was really weird growing up and being the kid in my family that liked reading. Sure. Mm. Like it was just really weird. And I, I don't know if it was, I don't know if I was fortunate enough for my school that even though I lived, went out in the middle of, I lived out in the middle of the country, my school was literally surrounded by cornfields. Um, I somehow got lucky and the class that I was in 
and all of us, you know, from kindergarten, which I guess, I guess, I guess I started there in first grade, but from first grade until graduation, all of us were together and all of us were sort of academic types. Really? Yeah. So I don't know if somehow one of our teachers earlier on in elementary school, like pushed us toward that, Mm. but all of us ended up being a lot different from the other classes surrounding us. Sure. And there were a number of us that have actually gone on and done advanced degrees and sort of have moved away from the stereotypical things that people that graduate from our high school do. Right. So uh, it's, it's interesting. I feel very fortunate to be a part of that. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's almost like a little tight knit community within a community. Yeah, for real. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, you know, I, those friendships that I had growing up were just the best. And yeah. so it was really great. Uh, I had a really great experience in high school and I almost, um, I almost actually actually went to Indiana University to study physics, but was wow. away. Yeah, but I was told as a senior that going to Indiana University would, you know, make me uh, go to parties and have sex and drink. <laughs> and um, I was told that if I went the secular university route, that I was just going to leave the faith. Sure. So rather than study physics at uh, Indiana University, I went and studied. Uh, I actually started off as a psych major at North Central. Oh, wow. Yeah. During my first semester, I took um, took psych one. OK. And for some reason, I decided to take Hebrew one as well. Uh, I don't know. I don't really fully know why. Instead of like, it's kind of weird, like not Spanish, not, you know what I mean? Like, especially if you're going for psych. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, True. It was like, this is going to be cool. And literally the first day of class, um, Buzz Brookman, who is just, he's the best. I still talk to him to this day. Um, He's, he is without a doubt, one of the biggest influences in my life. Wow. And um, just an amazing human being. Everybody that has had him in class everybody that has interacted with him loves him and yeah. for good reason because he is just a delightful human being mm-hmm. um, on top of being an amazing teacher right but the first day of hebrew we walk in and he just starts talking to us in hebrew and <laughs> it was the greatest thing ever like That's awesome it was wow. the like i don't know it just he lit up and from the first minute of Hebrew one, I was like, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. Come on. I want, I want to be that person inspiring others to love the, love the word of God. Yeah. And so I spent all my time uh, studying Hebrew. I did not study. I did. I, I mean, we had to read the textbooks for intro to psych. I hated it. <laughs> and I, yeah, instead I would just, I just stay up all night studying Hebrew. Wow. Because uh, it was just the best. Yeah. And I, I just remember there, there was nothing else that I felt like in the, especially that first semester, like it was like that I found the thing that I wanted to do. Yeah. I found the thing that I was like, I'm freaking good at this and I love it. Yeah. So I, my first psych exam came I got a C in on the first exam, which for me, C is not a good grade, but I didn't care. Like 
I did not care about studying for my psych exam. I was like, if it gets in the way of me studying Hebrew, I don't care. So (laughs) after the first exam, I went and got a degree transfer uh, form, took it to um, whoever the psych professor was and just said, I'm switching my major. And I thought, so as an 18 year old, you know, I thought I was declaring something just so monumental. Yeah. This is a profound moment. I'm switching my major. Yeah. Uh, this is going to be like, he's going to protest and be like, no, please stay a psych major. We need you. So great. Like I was ready for this epic speech of this is why Hebrew is my calling. And I got to his office and I was like, you know, I'm, I'm planning on switching my major. Da, 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 da. I get this mini speech and I'm wet ready. You know, I'm waiting for him to, you know, have this rebuttal. And I, I just ran the, for some reason I had this, speech in my head like this exchange back and forth and i was ready for it and he just ended with you just knocking him out punching him across no 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 (laughs) it ended with me it ended with me still changing majors but it was like i was gonna walk out of his office like you know triumphant and yeah just on cloud nine yeah and like someone in the background with a shofar just saying it is happening exactly Mm -hmm. and I give my mini speech, I hand him the paper and he goes, oh, okay. And signs the paper, hands <laughs> it back, says, have a good day. And done. That's and it. I just like, that's it. And I, I, oh. I grabbed the paper and I just, I, I, I was speechless. Like, <laughs> I, I didn't know what to say. I didn't want, like, I wanted him to say, no, please stay. Right. 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 I didn't get that. So I just walked away and t- took it to the registrar and uh, never turned back. That's no. awesome. Yeah. Wow. So what is it about Hebrew that you love? Like, I think if people are listening to this and you think about the Hebrew language or Greek or any, like any language, you think it's hard. I want you to stop and think it's a lot harder than you think in my, my <laughs> mind. Like I tried to learn it and it is a lot harder than you think. Like, you're like, Oh, this is like Spanish. It's not. So like, what is it about that, that like you had that, obviously you have a passion and a drive. And I think it's, it's seems to me from your conversation of purely like, I love getting to understand the reality of the Bible and the reality of the gospel. So, but what is it like about the language or is about like, is it, is it kind of like you're a problem that you're trying to solve? So, so uh, sort of a caveat before I go into this, I may talk bad about the tradition I grew up in. Um, and so but that's okay. I, you know, I, I, I want to give a caveat that um, anyone who loves and trusts in, in Christ is my brother or sister, despite our disagreements. Right. Yeah. And uh, any, any, um, critiques that I have of whatever faith tradition, uh, is not personal. Mm -hmm. I, and if, you know, whatever critiques you have of the faith tradition, I hold, I hold to, I have a thousand more critiques than you do. So (laughs) I, I I do. And so I, um, and I, and I think that's healthy. I think we should. So good. Yeah. Yeah. For real. You're yeah. That's, that's important. Yeah. So, so I'm, I'm about to, I'm not going to talk trash about my, faith tradition I was raised up in, but I am going to critique it. And so the reason why I'm drawn to, especially Hebrew, I mean, obviously I I love Greek and it's fun 
and um, you know, I, I teach it. But the reason I love Hebrew is I was raised, I was raised in the AG, like most people who went to North Central. And the church I went to was extremely dispensationalist in mm-hmm. the idea that there is a dividing line that starts at Matthew in your Bible. And as, and not, and some distance, and actually my church that I grew up in actually said, there's a dividing line at the resurrection and sort of at acts where even stuff like the Lord's prayer is not for Christians today, oh, which wow, I will trash that and say, yeah, that, that's <laughs> probably one of the craziest things I've ever heard. Sure. And really quick, just because I know there's people that may or may not know what a, what a display, I can't even say it. I'm breaking my words. Dispensationalist is what would be your definition of that? So people could actually understand like a, a basic definition. Yeah, so dispensationalism teaches that at various points in time, the people of God look are, are defined in different ways. At the right. vi- yeah. that is baseline. So, from so they would say history is cut up into different covenantal period. Well, they they would say dispensations. They wouldn't say covenant. right, right. They would say in various dispensational periods. So from Adam to Noah, from Noah to Abraham, from Abraham to Moses, from Moses to Jesus, from Jesus to now, um, that the way you are in the, the way that you are uh, part of the body of God, the part of the people of God is defined in different ways. And your relationship with God is defined at that period of time. Right. So it's, Got it. it's, okay. It's contextualized through your culture and it, it right. really pushes away the past. Yeah. So one of the big things with dispensationalism is especially uh, at the forefront. So the biggest, the most popular dispensationalism is like the left behind stuff. Yeah. Yes. So yeah. the rapture theology is very much dispensationalism. The idea that uh, the central idea, especially in terms of where we're at today dispensationalism says that at one point in time the people of or that the church today is sort of a uh or or, or i'm trying to th- say this in a not so complicated way sorry in a way not, that us common folk can understand no, no, no. <laughs> well, us bachelor not, degrees dispens- no no i'm not a dispensationalist scholar this is not my Fair no, enough. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Zach put you on, on, on. I for fire sure did. Right so that was. Yeah, this, yeah. this isn't. Yeah. So there, there this might isn't be the people. hill he wants to die on right exactly. now. Exactly. Yeah. I just would have stuttered through it like crazy if someone were to ask me that. So I was just like, how can I explain this to people? So that was just my. If you're so listening, continue. take this time when we're talking to just Google it. Yeah. So this conversation <laughs> Google because there are other there there are various yeah. teachings with this. So to define it as a whole is different, but it's it's tough. Um, right. And I'm not an expert at it. I'm, I've only merely whatever. So, but, but sort of get back to the point. So the dispensationalism that I was taught, and then is sort of main, mainly taught is that the Old Testament is all right and cool, but the New Testament is where it's at, right? Um, we got Jesus, why do we need Deuteronomy, right? Um, or why do we need, you know, the uh, bodily emissions in Leviticus 13, right? Mm-hmm. So my draw toward that was uh, I'm someone who 
I'm not a rebel in terms of my actions. So I don't like, I don't, I, I never broke rules. Mm-hmm. I was the good kid that always did things, but I'm a rebel when it comes to uh, thought. Meaning mm, yeah. if, you tell, if you tell me not to read something or you tell me that someone is, has this idea and it's stupid and I shouldn't worry about it, I automatically go, I'm going to get all of the books from that <laughs> point of view and read Let's them. Let's go. Yeah. yeah. Uh, because I, I was luckily raised uh, in, or at least in school, just taught that all idea, all ideas should be weighed on their own right. Like I was taught mm-hmm. uh, proper rhetoric in some, you know, podunk school in the middle of nowhere, Indiana. Somehow we we got lucky enough to have <laughs> teachers who taught us uh, classical methods of thinking. And so, a lot of my drive for wanting to research the Old Testament came out of this rebellion of like well, I need to know, I don't know the Hebrew Bible enough. And you're telling mm-hmm. me that it's not that important. Wow. But the Hebrew Bible's huge. Right. The Old Testament's huge compared to the New Testament. Right. And that's true. <laughs> like that there's got to be stuff in there that's super important right. other than, other than, you know, uh, a couple of verses in Isaiah that prophesy about Jesus or, you know, Genesis one. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, that my my intellectual curiosity pushed me toward Hebrew and mm. um, you know an amazing professor in in Buzz, which um, yeah, just showed that it could be fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I and I yeah. agree with you too. Like we have to weigh the thought. We can't just, we actually had this conversation. That's really funny that you say that because I had this conversation in church one time. We had a bookshelf that had different Christian books on it and whatever. And and I had someone come up to me and they said, hey, you have these eight people on there and they use extra biblical uh, narratives and stories. And if you don't take them off, I'm leaving. And that person- I remember when you told me that. I remember that. And not really like I'm leaving, but like kind of like you're going to and the whole point was you're leading people astray to information. And I just fundamentally don't believe that. I just don't I just don't believe that I'm going to lead you astray through just the opportunity for information through a book or through a thought line. You know what I mean? And that's an interesting conversation when you talk about how everyone's constantly talking about misinformation and disinformation. Like it's interesting. Well, I mean, the first thing we have to understand is the vast majority of people have really good intentions and they want the best for themselves, for their family, for society. That's right. There are very few people that are genuine bad actors that are trying to make the world terrible. There are those people. There are those people. But the majority of people want the best for society. Yeah. However, and that's on one hand. However, on the other hand, a lot of people are wrong about a lot of things. <laughs> like, <laughs> I think we can all agree on that. Yeah, you know, that'll be the title of this um, yeah, this podcast. I, yeah. I mean, a lot of people are stupid. And <laughs> oh, that'll be the title. Amen. There you know, it is. There um, is. But yeah. that doesn't you know that that doesn't mean that we automatically. Uh, you know, f- com- completely push them aside. Exactly. Um, 
we need to, and, and, at the, and also I could be stupid. Um, right. We have to have same. that. that yep. I, I think uh, epistemic humility mm-hmm. is one of the virtues wow, yeah. and traits that we are desperately in need of, especially um, in Christianity. Mm-hmm. The idea that I must every day check my thoughts, check my worldview, check my theology, check how I am loving my neighbor, loving God. And does that conform to scripture? Does that conform to proper uh, church doctrine? And if it does, then great. And if it doesn't, then I need to change something. Yeah. And sometimes that means I have to completely flip um, something that I, a, a long held belief that I have had and not having that disposition has gotten us into terrible, terrible places currently mm-hmm. in the church. Yeah. And I actually want to add to that. I think the the main problem is that there's too many, everyone has too many hills they want to die on. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, I think that's one of the biggest problems, not just for Christians, but in general for people that we're like, nope, I'm not going to, I'm not going to budge. I'm not willing to be wrong about this. Yeah. And obviously, you know, without getting too like, you know, theological, it's like, dude, that's pride one-on-one right there. It's like, nope, I'm not willing to lay this down. Like I, and of course you see it in politics, like it's always like, well, I've been a Democrat or Republican my whole life. I'm never going to change. Never going to see anything on the other side. Never even going to think that maybe one thing that I've believed for my whole life is wrong. Right. You know, like we don't like to be challenged like that. And I think it's important to have those conversations. And like you said earlier, like what things, if I don't agree with something, like let's read some books on some about it. You know what I mean? Like I remember, and you know, bring up Calvinism, not because of obviously, you know, North Central and Calvinism jokes, but I remember I have two books back there. One book called why I'm a Calvinist and another called why I'm not a Calvinist. And uh, I was like, you know what? I'm going to read both of these because I don't really fully know where I stand. I disagree with some things, agree with some other things. But for me, I was like, you know what? I can be very ignorant. So let me read both of these books and let's see what comes out on the other end. To be honest, I learned a lot, but I neither book convinced me 100% either way. But I was at least able to see, okay, that's interesting. I didn't know some of those things. Or like, so that's, I think, an important thing to realize kind of what you're talking about is like, we all should be a little more humble in, this, in the fact that like, no, you should be okay, like change some of your thinking, you know, right. I th- it's not going to, it's not going to kill you to change your thinking, you know? Right. Yeah. Well, that's one of the issues of having such a strong personal identity, mm. right? We have been told from day one that your personal identity is you and whatever label you want to put on yourself is there and you're defined. There's no changing it. And if that label is somehow wrong or that label is somehow um, flawed, then you yourself are less of a human and da, 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 da. You need to question yourself. All of these assumptions and human beings are not the some total of the labels they put on themselves. No. Some total no. of the labels that others put on them. Yeah. Right? You're not that. Like you are intrinsically valuable yeah. based upon the fact that you are created in the image of God and that yes. you deserve uh you you deserve that worth of being a human being at that is at the base like 
like you were designed to glorify God and that is the highest possible calling. That is the highest possible thing that anything in all of creation can be, right? Yeah, like yeah. You, you are the, you're the peak of God's creation. Yeah. And that fact alone should be um, the thing that drives you to explore his creation, right? Rather right. than, rather than thinking of yourself as a static, uh, as a static being that has labels, mm. you are, you are a sojourner who is journey, journeying, who, who is going on a journey through, um, through life. You know, it's very much mm. like, mm. uh, I mean, Pilgrim's Progress is a beautiful picture of this, right? Uh, if you've never read Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan, it's one of the greatest books ever. Yeah. Beginning of the journey, uh, Christian, um, he's carrying this way. So, so Pilgrim's Progress, if you don't know, it's an allegory for the Christian life. Mm-hmm. And it starts out where Christian has this weight on him. And this weight gets removed because of the cross of Christ. And all of this book is Christian going through these trials. He's going through setbacks. He's going through doubt. He's going through persecution. He's going through the loss of friends. He's going through all of these things. And at, and at points in time, Christian looks great. And at points in time, Christian looks terrible. Right. Um, and at the end of the day, he still makes it to the celestial city. Yeah, that's still, good. He still crosses the river of death and makes it to uh, the city of God. Yeah. And all of that is, is Christian developing into who he is supposed to be to set himself up to enter into the city of God. You know, that is a part of you know, uh, one aspect of that, of theology that we definitely don't talk about enough is the idea that all of us right now, as if you are a Christian, all of us are being transformed into the image of Christ. Yeah. Mm. Like every day, if you are uh, conforming yourself to scripture, conforming yourself to historical Christian practices, if you are um, listening to God and you are chasing after after him, you are becoming more like Christ. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Like, you look like Christ more today than you did yesterday if you are focused toward him. Right. Mm. No matter what label you had yesterday. Exactly. No matter what label you had a year ago. That's right. No matter what identity you had, you know, previously, like you're getting closer to Christ and that should be the thing that drives you, um, you know, in, in life. So anyway, sorry. No, he's preaching yeah. and I need I a tambourine. That. Come on, come on somebody. No, <laughs> put down the tambourine. <laughs> remember, remember that, we're waving. <laughs> you remember that guy who would come to varsity with the tambourine and would shake it in the back in the middle of the sermon. Do you remember that? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That was you a know, good I, got, time. I go to a Baptist church right now and we need more of those people there, man. Come on. It was awesome. It would just be at the, it would be intentionally at the point where the sermon was the most quiet and you'd hear <laughs> in the back. The, the spirit's got to wake back up now. Come like, on now. Stop it. Gosh. I love that though. 
I think you're right. We don't talk about that enough. We talk yeah. about, Hey, how can I, um, maybe it's more of a self-help and it's more yeah. of this and it's not, I'm being transformed. And I wonder one mm. of the things that, that I love about the old Testament. And I was going to ask you what's maybe the thing that the Hebrew language in the old Testament has challenged your upbringing theology the most. But one of the things I love about it is this idea of a strong group society. Cause in mm. America, we live in a weak group society where I'm living for me, my individual rights, my individual ideas, my individual preferences. But in the old Testament in, in Jewish culture and in cultures all around the world, there are strong group society. So the good of the, yeah, the good of the yeah. group is more important than the good of the individual. And I love that part in the Old Testament when you're looking at these families and these family lineages and all this incredible things. So that really challenges me on the community of the church. And mm -hmm. but I just was interested like what do you think like about that but also what has been that thing that the that has challenged you the most as you study? Yeah. So one thing I'm not a sociologist, so I don't have much to <laughs> add to um the community slash individualist societies. There are pros and cons to each, right? Um, some community societies um, are honor shame in their system and honor right. shame's cultures uh, to Western individualists, they're not the best. And <laughs> yeah, they're not, enough. you know, yeah. and, and that's the majority, I mean, that's the majority of the ancient world uh, yeah. is we don't really stock, you know, we don't really think about, um, proper individual human rights until enlightenment um yet there are terrible terrible things about individualism like i mean yeah just utter hedonism is one of those things like i can do whatever i want and that's fine and you know somehow me you know doing whatever is the good and that's not that's not you can be just as much a prisoner to vices in your hedonism than um any other uh any other thing that could trap someone it could be just as bad as anything else you know right um, and so i don't know yeah that, that's i don't have much else to say about that but in terms of what about the hebrew bible gets me so every time i read the hebrew bible mm -hmm. is luckily almost every day i i'm fortunate enough to have have a bit of time and I'm sort of forced to as, I'm, as I teach oh, quite a bit. Yeah. Um, every single time I pick up the Hebrew Bible, my appreciation for the scribes and authors just goes through the roof. Every single time hmm. I read the text, I am awestruck at the sophistication of the literature. So everything in the Hebrew Bible is purposefully placed and said in a certain way to make an argument. Yeah. The, the, the scribal community who put the Hebrew Bible together know their stuff. These are people that have memorized the text. Yeah. <laughs> know it inside and out. And they are freaking good at what they do. Exactly. Um, you know, you get these pop you know, these pop culture, you know, pithy statements that are like, you know, the Bible was just put together by some illiterate Bedouins who don't know anything about the world. And it's like, wait a second, if they're illiterate, then how could they write? <laughs> Got them. 
Got him. Right. I'll hit, the, I'll hit him with the double dab. Dab on him. Hit him with the double dab. Um, <laughs> secondly, they are just as sophisticated in their ability to reason through the world as we are. Yeah. They may not know that we are on, um, you know, a rock that's spinning around in outer space, <laughs> you know, millions of miles away from the sun. They may not know that the moon is another rock sort of going around us. They may not know that the star, that the stars in the sky are other suns, you know, all of this stuff, right? They may not know how to put a rocket into space, but they're sophisticated individuals. They mm-hmm. are far more like you and I than what we give them credit, what most people give them credit. And what they do know about is how life works around them. They Hmm. are extremely smart people. They know how to tell stories a thousand times better than you and I can tell stories. Absolutely. Right. They are so good at drawing people in and using their own language to make points that are so sophisticated that... um, without understanding the literary devices that they're using, you miss it because you are dumb and you don't know how to read. <laughs> like you don't know how to follow stories. That's right. true. Seriously though. Yeah. Um, these people are, they're unbelievable. And yes. every single day I am just drawn more and more into the text because I just find them to be so fascinating. The people that put this together. And, and at the end of the day, obviously, um, being a Christian, I believe that there is inspiration behind it, but the human agency behind it as well is so sophisticated and mm-hmm. so good that I don't ever want to stop reading it. Yeah. Mm. That's awesome. So how do you feel like, what do you think is the way that we most, uh, we misread the text besides missing the story? Cause I oh, think a lot a of question. times that happens a lot, but what's the way that we miss? Well, I'm sure there's a thousand. But maybe what's some top three <laughs> as, as a Hebrew students coming into your classroom, like these are the three misconceptions that you see most commonly. Yeah. Well, the first misconception I think is the Hebrew Bible and the Bible in general. I mean, I'm mainly talking about the Hebrew Bible because that's my, that's where I'm at all the time. Um, the Bible is not written for Sunday school, mm. right? The Bible like we like these cool stories where David's throwing rocks at giants. <laughs> yeah. And somehow it's really cool having a felt board with Noah surviving with flood, but we don't really think about, you know, the millions of people that are drowning. Right. Like, right. Sort of wow. That. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, we there the Bible is not for Sunday school. Mm, <laughs> it's like, wow, no joke. Go. Yeah. It's no joke. Yeah. The Bible is originally for the community of God to hear about the works of God. Absolutely. Yeah. What has God done for us in the past so that we can be certain that God will be faithful to his covenant now? Yeah. That is what the Bible is about. That is what, you know, the Hebrew Bible in general, but that's what the Bible is about. Why do I need to know about uh, Moses? Well, because we're waiting for this prophet like Moses and the people of God are really screwed up right now. But guess what? The people of God were really screwed up back then and God was faithful to them. And I need a God who is faithful to me because I yep. really suck today. Yes. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's one thing is 
when we relegate Bible stories to Sunday school, we assume that these are stories that we are supposed to tell to kids to get them to shut up and listen and obey. Right? Oh, yeah. That's not yeah, what the Bible yeah. is for. The Bible right. is not some pacifying tool for us to keep our kids controlled. Mm-hmm. Right. 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 Wow. So that they don't drive fast and have sex. Right. 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 That's not, that's not what the Bible is used for. That's not what its original intent was. That is not, uh, that, that takes all of the power of the Bible away from itself. So wow. that's the first Dang. main misconception we have. The second main misconception is in our reading of uh, the stories of the Bible. So, um, one of the famous, I think it's Matt Chandler has a famous quote where he's talking about the story of David and uh, normally we're taught that you and I are David in the Bible throwing stones at the giant. Yeah. But at the end of this, you know, long monologue, Matt Chandler says, you are not David in the story. Like you are not the one slaying giants. You were the one who is the idiot who is crawling up behind these uh you know all of these supplies hiding from the giant and you know the reason why we have the story of david is to point toward christ and that's sort of one of the you know he's getting at we assume that these stories are given to us as morals right we want to read them as we want to read them as parables yeah absolutely like we we want to take one-off stories as parables And instead, the Hebrew Bible, especially in the historical books, it is an extremely sophisticated, there there are extremely sophisticated theological points being made throughout the stories. In story form, whoever is finishing these books and putting them together, they are trying to make a point about something that is happening at their time. Mm-hmm. In order to contextualize for the people, what is God going to do to us normally in a crisis situation? Mm. So if we think about the historical books, which are essentially Joshua to Kings, um, what is that book about? Or what, what are those, what's that whole, it's sort of one big story, right? Between Joshua and Kings, what is this all about? And at the end of the day, you get to the end of Kings and... Jerusalem is destroyed. The people of God are mm. scared. Mm. What are we supposed to do with this? Right. Because at the beginning of this story, everything was great. Yep. And uh, we were in the land that God had promised us. We had a king. He was great. And yet all of these institutions, whether it was the king and the judges, whether it was us as a people, whether it was the temple, Every single institution in Israel had failed to hold up their end of the covenant with God. Mm-hmm. And what are you supposed to do when you get to the end of Kings? Well, you're supposed to read the end of Deuteronomy and see, guess what? N- Moses already told us this was going to happen. Mm, like wow. Moses said, you're yeah. going to be in the land for all of these years, for all these hundreds of years. You are going to do these things. You're going to worship other gods. And you are going to forsake the covenant that you cut with Yahweh. And that's exactly what happens. So when you get to the end of Kings, you're supposed to go back and read Deuteronomy and go, Moses told us this is exactly what was going to happen. So why are we 
why are we somehow surprised? Yet, when you get to the end of Kings, the end of Kings actually ends on a high note mm-hmm. with the uh, potential new king, or at least the line of the king, right. mm-hmm. being propped up right. in exile, and there's hope. Why? Because God is a covenant and faithful God. Absolutely. When God promised to Abraham. He is not a covenant that is conditional upon the people being good. There are curses to the covenant. There are bad things that are happening. But God, at the end of the day, upholds his end of the bargain for both curses and blessings. Absolutely. Mm, Yep. And God is a Mm. covenantly faithful God. And that is why that's what we're supposed to read when we read the historical books. We're supposed to read it and then go back and reread it and then go back and reread it and then go back and reread it all at once, all at the same time, understanding each part is speaking to all of the other individual parts within larger story. Yeah. And when we do that, we see the complexity of the theology that is being presented to us about sin and evil and uh, us not upholding our uh, covenant and the grace of God and the wrath of God and the blessings of God and the curse mm-hmm. of God and our inability to uphold all of this and our need for God to be faithful. Like that is what the Hebrew Bible is essentially about. Right. Dang. And I, I, one quote that I've always thought just to go kind of piggyback what you're saying is it's a simple quote. And I don't know who actually made it. It was a book that I read, but it was never read a Bible verse. And I think like that idea of like, especially the old Testament, how many times it's, I mean, (laughs) Jeremiah 29, 11, um, but like, you know, how many times where it's like, we will take a Bible verse that by itself, it's a sentence or two that we're like, dang, this is good. The Lord speaking to me. Is it true that the Lord can speak to you through a Bible verse? Obviously, like that's true. But I think what you're saying is so important. Like we are like, oh, let's get in my, I'm going to read a half a page today. And I think we've lost our, I'm just saying this generally, like, I, like I'm going to say like our posture before the Lord, when it comes down to actually reading texts. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, five minutes. I'll get five minutes in the word. And I, I mean, I'm guilty of this, which is like, okay, check this off a list. I read my verses. But it's like you, what you're talking about is radically different from, I think, most people, unfortunately, were raised. Is they're like, no, let's memorize your Bible verses. Memorize your verses. Say how this is important. And like thinking about a Bible verse itself, there's zero context behind it. But when you actually are reading and immersing yourself in the story and actually thinking like, I don't it's not about memorizing the text. It's about living it, living through it, like being, I don't know, transformed by it. And so I think, yeah, good. What you're talking about is formation. I mean, that's what you're talking about. It's formation. You read it all the way. You go back, you read it again. You read it all the way. Right. Exactly. Again. That's what it is. Meditation. Yeah. Yeah. Psalm one. Go read tonight. Whoever's read. Yeah. Yeah. All five of your listeners. Okay. (laughs) Oh, stabbed. We're three of them. Um, yeah, we're three and, of them, right? And my mom, mom. And actually, no, my mom and Jeff's mom. There it is. This yeah. might that might be the best statement that's ever been made. Let's go. I oh my gosh, Let's that's go. not a knock on your podcast. That's a knock on me as a guest. No, that's um, no, no. That's well, well. Keeps us humble. It keeps us. It keeps everyone humble. Um, anyway, continue. Go read Psalm one tonight four times. It's 
Mm. Seven verses, I think. What is being taught there? Well, first, someone places you in the Garden of Eden. It is a story about what is the perfect life? What is the good life? The good life is sitting in the Garden of Eden with Scripture and continuously meditating on the Word of God over and over and over and over and over. Mm-hmm. Right? The mm-hmm. verse was verse three says that the word of God is the blessed person's delight. And he's going to, and it says, it says we, we translate it as meditate, but the word there is actually the word that's used for livestock that chew their cud. Hmm. You ever see a cow that just nom, 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 <laughs> right? The word there is an agricultural word wow. that means to chew on it, swallow it. And actually, what does a cow do? Spits it back up and chews on it some more. Mm. And you wow. swallow. Yeah, you know, this is what a cow does. It chews its cud. Yeah, I didn't realize yeah, that. That's how it digested. That's how it digested all of its food. And that's what that's the picture given to us in Psalm 1 is this person that sits in the garden in this good place and all they do is chew on God's word day and night continuously. You don't go I'm going to read this one verse and I'm good. Right. I'm going to put it up on my mirror. It's going to be my <laughs> life verse. I'm going to look at it. That's all I'm going to look at. And if you put up a verse on your mirror, I'm not knocking you. (laughs) Unless you don't read your Bible, then I will knock you. And uh, what you have to do is nothing wrong with uh, having a life verse or whatever, or being inspired by certain sayings. But there is something wrong when you aren't uh, regularly and daily uh, chewing on God's word. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Scripture. And that's the beautiful thing about scripture. Scripture is not a book with answers to life. Yes. Right. It's Mm -hmm. not, it's not, oh man, what am I going to do today? Am I going to go get Taco Bell or McDonald's? Oh, if I open up this page, if it says taco on this page, then I'm going to get Taco Bell or something like that. Um, Where's the Chipotle word? Exactly. Scripture. I'm triggered by that, but whatever. yeah, no. <laughs> scripture is an invitation for us to enjoy who God is. Boom! Right there. Let's go. Like God, the God of the universe, who created everything, invites all of His creation to know who He is. He could, God could be a God who distances himself from all from his creation and does not reveal himself. Yet he is a good God who reveals himself to us in mm. scripture. And that alone should drive us deeper and deeper into his word. Yeah. That is the place where you find the true triune God of the universe in scripture. And the only way you find him is by struggling through reading it it's by daily chewing on every single word that he has given to us. Yeah. Well, and I love it. Let me pay you a quick compliment okay. too. I'm sure Zach is feeling the same way. The passion that you talk about scripture in the Bible makes me want to lead yep. it more and, and, and read it yep. more and meditate on it more. And so thank you for that. And that's a yeah. gift to Amen. your yeah. church community, to your students. And I'm sure that is, you know, that's portrayed in your teaching, but, 
that's incredible. Like I agree with you 100%. And I, again, to Matt Chandler quote, I was listening to his sermon on, on revelation and he was like, how freaking arrogant are we that you keep reading yourself into the text? It's not about you. <laughs> uh, he yep. said, literally you take every story and you read yourself into the text and he's like, shut up. It's not about you. And I was like, he just said that on a Sunday morning. And I was like, this yep. is, this is like, but it's a hundred percent true. That's what we do. Yep. I I'm reading Jonah. I'm Jonah. No, like it's literally every story is about you. And I'm like, right. well, you're Nineveh what? most times. And, yeah. and, you're being honest. Well, and guess what? You don't want to be Jonah. No, like, <laughs> you don't want to be David, right? No, you right. don't. There's probably only one person in the Hebrew Bible who doesn't do something royally stupid. And he is Joseph. And even then, he's like a snot-nosed 12-year-old at the beginning of the book, right? Absolutely. And he yeah. also still goes to prison and, you yeah. know. <laughs> yeah. But every, and, and this is purposefully, so this is another misconception of the Hebrew Bible. Come on. It's every single, every single figure in the Hebrew Bible is portrayed as a morally flawed person. Yes. They are not. They are not role models. Most of them are not role models. Most That's of true. Are, most of them are there to show you what you shouldn't do. Mm. And we have, it's terrible when we, not to say that we shouldn't tell people, you know, not to say that we shouldn't read half the Psalter because David wrote, like not, right, not that right. at all. Um, but we have to, uh, you know, we have to kill our heroes. Yes. Right. Is, mm-hmm. and we, we, I mean, we have, we have this issue for, for all of us is every, the, the, there is one person who is not morally flawed. And that is, I mean, obviously that's Christ. And that's actually the point of the majority of the stories in the Hebrew Bible. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Is Elijah and Elisha, like, especially with Elijah is Elijah is supposed to be this new Moses right? A, a big part of the historical books is fulfilling this promise in Deuteronomy that there's going to be a prophet like Moses that comes. Yep. And Elijah looks like Moses. He's doing, he's, uh, he's returning the people back to God. He's calling fire from heaven. He's going out into the will. He's at, has his own exile that's similar to Moses where he's out in the wilderness and he finds a well and he chills there and he's hiding from uh, he's hiding from a Jezebel, like he's hiding from, or I, I guess not Jezebel there, but he's hiding uh, from Ahab, like he's, um, like uh, Moses hides from Pharaoh, and he looks like Moses for almost the entire story, and then when it gets, after after the victory, after God has showed up, yeah, fire from heaven, and then Jezebel <laughs> comes and says, I'm going to kill you, what does he do? He runs and he leaves, and where does he go? He goes to Sinai, where Moses was that where Mo- like he looks like Moses and then when God comes to him and says like what are you doing what does he do rather than be a good prophet who mediates for the people of God and because what did Moses do whenever the children of Israel sin and God said I'm going to destroy the children of Israel Moses said what are these people going to say like yep. right that God is not a covenantly faithful God, that these he let his people die, killed his own people. And at that moment, Moses is good and he intercedes for the people. Moses does terrible things as well that disqualifies him from going to the promised land. 
But Elijah, when he's on the mountain and God comes to him and he says, dude, what's up? He says, I'm the only one who remains that's faithful to God. You know, just let me die here and da, 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 da. He does not mediate for the people of God at the crucial point in time when God questions him about the people's faithfulness. So he disqualifies himself as a prophet like Moses at the most important point in time when he is supposed to mediate between God and the people. And he is supposed to stick up for the people of God. And because mm-hmm. of that, God immediately takes away his ministry, splits it up between three people, and he's done. Wow. Even people that we like prop up as these are great people that like all of them have moral failings and um, some some of the terrible, terrible moral failings. And there's it's supposed to look like that. Mm. It's specifically designed for you not to gravitate toward David as the pinnacle ultimate human being or Moses as the ultimate human being. All of the Hebrew Bible is anticipating the new prophet like Moses, the new David, the new Adam, the new yeah. priest, the new Aaron. All of the Hebrew Bible is building toward everything that has come before. Every person that has come before is so morally flawed that they could not accomplish what God had designed for them to accomplish. And yeah. so you get to the Hebrew, it, it, to the end of the Hebrew Bible, you are anticipating someone to finally fulfill all of this, finally be the Moses that Moses was supposed to be, be the David that David was supposed to be, be the Adam that Adam was supposed to be. Mm. And get that's we get the Christ, and yeah. all of the gospels are designed to make Christ look like Moses, to make Christ look like David, to make Christ look like Elijah, to make Christ look like Adam. All of them are designed in such a way that when you read them, you are automatically drawn back to your Hebrew Bible, you're automatically drawn back to the Old Testament, and you go, This, this has been said before. Why? Mm. Oh, because that's... all of it is anticipating. Right. 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 Yeah. This incredible crescendo at the end of the Hebrew Bible that then there's all of this silence. Yeah. And then Jesus. Yeah. Right. It, it's wow. And that yeah. I I will say that everything you've been saying kind of goes back to what you said earlier about the fact that there's so many people that say, you know what, just read the New, New Testament, Old Testament. Let's grab a couple of things from it. Let's get some Psalms are fine. Proverbs every now and then, you know, basic things like that. But from what you're like, your whole point is saying like, no, you don't, you realize like everything is pointing to Jesus right now. Like if you leave that out, like you're, you're losing so much of who, who Jesus is. You know what I mean? Like that is such a, oh my gosh, that's so, that's so big that I wish more people saw, you know, if you do not understand the Hebrew Bible, you do not fully understand who Christ is and what he's accomplishing for you, what he's accomplishing for his church. Right. Because what is the ultimate what is what is the ultimate goal of all of this everything that we are doing everything that christ did it's to return us back to eden yeah, yeah. all of creation was designed to dwell with god in perfect peace in perfect harmony all of it is about eden and returning there. And that's why the Bible starts with the garden. That's why the Bible ends with the garden. Is because we screwed up and we are unable on our own to return ourselves back to the state. Mm-hmm. Right? We cannot take ourselves back into Eden. We have to have God himself become like us, take on flesh, 
and guide us back to Eden. That is the only mm -hmm. hope we have to return back to fellowship with God. That's what all of this is about. Dude, I feel like both of us are just like, well, I'm wondering when we can sign up for class this fall. You know what I mean? Let's like, go. <laughs> yeah, for real. Like legitimately, I had that thought probably 10 times. <laughs> but dude, that's not a joke. I, I I love everything that you're saying. And it is a hundred percent. It makes so much more sense. And mm -hmm. you're connecting dots just in passing that you're like, oh, yeah. What? Yeah, he did go to Sinai and I'm thinking to myself, right. how have I never mentioned that before? You know what I mean? Like, how have I never seen that before? And Jeff, you love preaching from the Old Testament out of all of like, like, that's your main wheelhouse is preaching from the Old Testament, too. So that's yeah, but now I'm going to go back and delete every sermon because I realize how bad they suck. <laughs> uh, one place to start one place if you want to start that's easy is Robert Alter's work. He is the art of biblical movement. A Robert Alter. Um, he is probably one of the most famous uh, voices with this. Um, another person that you should read is John Salehammer. He has a book which John Salehammer is my personal hero. Um, uh, if there's one scholar who I hope to reach uh, his knowledge of, of the Old Testament and the Hebrew Bible is John Salehammer. Yeah. He has a book called The Pentateuch's Narrative, which is his commentary of Genesis to Deuteronomy. His introduction to the Old, to Old Testament theology is gold. And um, he has another book, like The Meaning of the Pentateuch is his other, is like his last book, big book he wrote. But they're following their approaches, which I picked up from a professor who had uh, one of them as his professor their approach to reading the Bible in this similar way that I'm presenting it has allowed me to fully um, see how, I talked about the sophistication of it, but how interconnected, how complex, but how coherent all of it is. Mm -hmm. It is all there purposely for a reason driving you toward knowing god more and it's done so well and if you don't read it like the people that wrote it you're not going to understand it yeah you can understand parts of it mm. but to fully appreciate it and it takes a lifetime of reading it like that to get there right right it's and, not something you pick yeah. up this semester in seminary it's not something you pick up overnight by right. reading one or two books it only happens by careful close readings of scripture over and over and over and over that's and that, the only way you get there and that's it right there right like it, it's the intentionality of reading scripture daily every single day you're not you're not uh you're not taking a day off it's a lifestyle it's a meditation it is it is it takes you a lifetime to come to the understanding and the more you understand the more depth and the more love you get. It's not that I have this boom once a poof realization. It's that realization. Yeah. I was listening to uh, one of my uh, guys that I like, his name's John Mark Comer. I don't know if you've ever listened to him. Um, he's in, in Portland, but he was talking about how we 
in this way, he said, we limit the gospel to one simple thing. He said, we always talk about you confess with your mouth, you believe in your heart and Jesus is Lord and you're saved. He said, but you don't understand that the gospel is from the very beginning of the gospel books to the very end. And it's not just that one portion that means good news. It's Mm -hmm. every single thing that Jesus did throughout. That is the good news throughout from start to end. And he said that, and I was like, Wow. Yeah. Cause we've totally just limited it maybe in our capacity for people to understand. And I personally believe people can understand a lot more than we give them credit for. For sure. Listen, if people can understand the complex narrative structure of breaking bad, (laughs) how many ever, right. Yeah. That hits so close to home. Cause I've watched breaking bad like 27 times. And like seriously, we, we expect people in our congregation to follow a nine season show on Netflix to binge watch it and understand all of the plots, all of the character are are arches and everything. And mm. yet we get them on Sunday and we dumb down scripture wow. to make right. them feel better about themselves so that they can get that one hour of Bible for their for the week. Right. So they can go back on Monday and binge watch their Netflix show. Right. Um that's where we're at in a right. lot of churches. Yeah. And I, yeah. I was thinking like you're, and I think you said you or Jeff touched on this earlier, but the fact that like, you're never going to be like done. You know what I mean? I think some people, sometimes so many people are like, you know, I just want to get it. I struggle. And I've been this way. Like you read the old Testament. You're like, Oh, this is just tough. Like, as I'm struggling with this and it's like, well, you know, the Lord's there to struggle with you. Like, you know, he's there. You know what I'm saying? Like that's, I think we we forget that. Not only is he there to struggle with you, he is asking you to struggle with him. Absolutely. Amen. Exactly. And that's a, we forget that we're like, I'm, I'm reading this Bible on my own. Here's the fact of the matter is you're never reading the Bible on your own. You're never reading. And I think people just get so focused on like, I have to get this. If I don't get this and I'm a bad Christian, if I don't understand this, or even sometimes if I don't hundred percent agree with this, I'm a bad Christian. Mm-hmm. And I think it's like, no, that wrestle through it. Like, yeah. I think we forget, like, you know, you realize that like, I always go back to like, how did, um, you know, David talk to talk to God? Like, that's sometimes how I think like, sometimes I'm like, Lord, I'm kind of pissed today. Like, yeah. I'll be honest, like, that's the thing is like, I think we've, we've lost the art of that, of realizing with the Lord, like, Hey, I'm struggling through the, through the word right now. Like I'm going to need some help. Like, and it's not saying like, Lord, give me a verse to read and then I'll read it. It's like, okay, that's simplifying it a little bit too much, but um, like, no, like you're never going to be there. Like I always think, and I'm just going to use him because he's a famous evangelical person, but I just think of like Billy Graham, like the dude was still reading his Bible into his late nineties. You know what I'm saying? He wasn't it, done. He listened to it every month. He listened to the Bible 12 times a year. See, I didn't know that. See, even so, but like he was absorbing it. You know what I'm saying? And it's like, okay, like say what you will about Billy Graham. Like the dude still was like, no, I'm going to absorb this. I'm not done. Like of all the people that I would think that the God would say, you know what? You're good. You've, you've read enough. I mean, I think Billy Graham of all people, but like, no, he knew like, no, I, I'm not done. Like yeah. I still got to absorb this, you know? So. And I think the lunacy of us saying that there's a God that will come down in human flesh and die on a cross for us, but is unwilling to battle with our questions is so mm. idiotic. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 And, and we have, you know, mm. I mean, we, we live in a time where luckily 
all three of us, God willing, will live into our 70s, 80s. Right. Like we have decades ahead of us. Maybe God, God you never know. Yeah. You know, we could drop dead tomorrow. Who knows? Like drop walking to my bedroom. But we have potentially decades ahead of us, like five minutes today times 365 days times 50 years. Mm-hmm. is a lot of freaking time <laughs> it feels like an eternity yeah right it's a lot of time and we have to rediscover the art of longevity mm. right we live i have this iphone i can literally anything that i want in the world i'm 10 seconds away with my right iPhone. yep like if I want to order anything, if I want to know anything, if I want to listen to anything, if I want to watch anything, yeah. I'm 10 seconds away. That yeah. instantaneousness of all of this is right here. Right. All of us, it's ingrained into us. Yet that mm-hmm. produces shallow individuals who do not truly take time to deepen their knowledge of anything. Yeah. And we have to rediscover the idea that the only things that are worth doing are those that we put hours and hours and hours and hours and hours of hours of practice into. Yeah. The long obedience in the same direction. So what is the thing, like, what would you say, I guess this is maybe a simple question, but how do you develop (laughs) that? You know what I mean? Like it's reading scripture in community. Mm both both in both in small groups in your church in going faithfully on Sundays to listen to your pastor but also in community with the saints all saints yeah. multiple times so read what uh the church fathers are saying about scripture read what the medievalists are saying about scripture Read what the reformers are saying about scripture. Read what the Pentecostals are saying about scripture. Read what current academic scholars are saying about scripture. Like read scripture with the saints, both past, present, and those that are in your immediate vicinity. Um, And that is probably the best way to do it because you're not going to have all the answers to what you're reading in scripture, right? It, Unfortunately, the, a lot of scripture is obviously it's written in a different language. Um, we we receive it through translation, which translations are f- fine, um, but we're receiving it through a medium of translation. We are, you know, four thousand to two thousand years related or separated from scripture, and we're talking about not only time but space as well. We. We're talking about a different world that scripture inhabits, a different, yeah. culture, a different kind of people that view life a bit, quite a bit differently than what we do. And the only way that we make sense of a lot of that is reading really good uh, scholars and really good close readers of the text, people that truly care about uh, reading scripture in a way that's faithful to the coherency of what it's saying and the uh, beauty and complexity and sophistication of the presentation of it. Yeah. Yeah. I want to say like, that's a good point. Cause just 
all, all of that. But I was just thinking like your thoughts of that, of reading like the thoughts and like the, not even just theology, but of people that have been around longer than we have, that have been around longer than Instagram. You know, I just think mm-hmm. about um, my own personal kind of issue that I have sometimes with, we have these like Instagram pastors, right? Mm-hmm. Like that'll like, I mean, I'm not good. I mean, they're reading the word, they're getting what they're good. And I'm not saying that they shouldn't like be preaching the word, but at the same time, it's like, okay, what training have you had? Like in the sense of like, okay, where, what community are you a part of? Right. Like what, I guess, sort of like what gives you the, the authority to say the words you're saying, because so many people that are following these, and I'm, I'm going to put Christian in quotes in the sense that it's like, okay, yeah, these people are, you know, saying all these things that actually could be misleading. Yeah. You know, and I think it's important to like read like the stories and like the books and deeper, um, I don't know, <laughs> deeper thoughts than we have, you know, going all the way back to, you know, XY scholar back in the first century, you know, it's like, why aren't we reading those? We're much more willing or wanting to watch a 15 minute or 15 second video that makes us feel good. Mm-hmm. And then we're like, okay, good. I'm closer with Jesus now. You know what I mean? Like, that's something that I'm just thinking about, like in our world today that we are just so we want to get that mcdonald's faith man like let's go give me a number two and then i'm good to yeah. go for the week yeah and and there's nothing wrong i'm not taking away yeah. emotional or i don't think i don't want someone to hear this and and go i shouldn't have an emotional response on sunday oh. i hear my past right speech. right however what you can't do is shortcut the process of sanctification right yes. <laughs> like that's good yep. you cannot shortcut the process of becoming like christ you do not look like christ overnight you do not know god instantly overnight it is yeah. it is purposefully a process and guess what that process your process like you are going to be flawed throughout that entire process the reason why you need to listen to others get other opinions, hear other voices is because you are going to be wrong on something at some point in time. Right. You are current. There is a deeply held belief you have right now that you are wrong about. Amen. So, <laughs> That's a good word. Oh, wow. Yeah. Right. Something that you deeply hold that you hold dearly and deeply is wrong somewhere. And the only way that you find out that you are wrong is by listening to others. Yeah. Yeah. That's super good. My thought is from, from Zach is you don't get sound doctrine through sound bites. Nope. Yep. That's right. So it's yeah. the little sound bites we get here and there. You don't get sound doctrine through that. Yeah. It, it makes you feel good, but that's about right. it. Yeah. And there's, like you said, there's nothing against that, No. but it's, it's it's a different you know what i mean like we're living from like moment to moment instead of the longevity of the lifetime of a battle sometimes yeah sometimes i need which i don't drink energy drinks sometimes people need energy drinks to get through the next five hours right right but if you need an energy drink every day to get through the next five hours of your life you're going to be 600 pounds you're going to be a blob of a human being yeah feels terrible about themselves because yep. they cannot uh get up off the couch they cannot do anything about life like an energy an energy drink every day is going to make you an unhealthy person yeah you might need it every so often to get through the next out couple of hours but you can't do it every day 
No, right. That's how I feel about most of these things. No, that's super good. And that's where I want to like, I want to get your thoughts. Like if, if you're cool jumping into about like current church stuff, like Dang, so you, you post- got there before I did. Go ahead. Well, no, like <laughs> there's a couple of things that I really, number one, I want your opinion on like translations of the Bible. You mentioned that there's a couple translations that I'm like, ah, this seems really sketch. So I wonder about that. Like the new passion, passion translation yeah, seems bring like yep. a little sketchy to me, but, yep. and then like the other thing, like, which we can jump right into that, but I'm also thinking about like, um, no, let's just, you know what, let's not get off. That. Let's stay on this. So what's the, what's like a good translation and is there anything wrong with like a couple translations you see? He's going to say just the Hebrew, just the Hebrew. That's the only one. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm not trying to flex or dab on anybody. Um, I want to give you your flowers, son. You know but what I mean? Don't, I, I don't really dabble in different translations. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I haven't read English um, Bible in three years, he says. Uh, yeah. I don't read in English. Could you speak like Hebrew to us right now? I mean, I I could. And you could pull a buzz. Really do anything. Right. Um, except, you, you know. You say anything. We wouldn't know. I could flex. But yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I try to stay away from those because... There's yeah. value in, I'm coming around to the idea that there's value in certain paraphrases and translations because I was someone who was like, we need to have word for word correspondence to Hebrew and English. Mm. That's where I was for a long time. So like you're thinking, I'm thinking like NASB mainly. Yeah. But also ESV is a little bit smoother, but there are a lot of yeah. doctrinal and theological decisions in the ESV that are skewed in certain ways that um, I think the more that I find out about it, the more that I'm leaning away from it. But there is a time and a place for different translations and different Mm. translation methods of presenting the Bible. Because at the end of the day, so as a scholar of the text, at, when I'm producing either a translation, so say if I were to have a sermon or have a class of people who don't know Greek and Hebrew, what I need to do is uh, prep in those languages, understand those languages. But what I research i can't just spit out word for word what i just said right i've spent a decade doing this i know the jargon i know the lingo i know a lot of the complexities behind all of this what i have to do is i have to take all of this stuff that i've studied and also the structure and and way that Hebrew and Greek function, because Hebrew and Greek aren't English. They don't function the same way. They're right. different languages. This is, you know, this is um, something that even people that study Hebrew and Greek don't always get, is you can't just one for one correlate one Hebrew word for an English word. Like, right. yeah. languages aren't glosses for uh it, or understanding a language isn't just for glossing one word for one word into a language. You have to be able to right. trade the concepts and ideas. So what we have to do as scholars and as pastors and as theologians is 
find ways to properly convey the concepts behind right languages like the the original languages okay yeah i am fine with certain even paraphrases so long as they rightly get the conceptualization of what's happening in the greek and hebrew yeah the overall Mm -hmm. theme and they're they're on track exactly and there are some people that are like if it's not one word here in hebrew we need one word here in english like there's a one King James word. only. Well, it, a lot of people do that for the NASB or the ESV, which is nothing. Oh, really? Yeah. Nobody's doing that for the King James. But well, that's yeah. true. Well, no, I just, I just meant like there's the King James people are probably the more strict when it comes down to this is the only one. That's all I meant by that. Exactly. I, I yeah. think that so long as it is not a crazy out there weirdo New Age translation, that in the process of focusing on the word of god the spirit is there alongside us agree yeah actively helping us understand who god is right. and that's why also getting back to reading reading the bible with the communion communion of saints is right if you are reading different translations if you are reading it with various theologians various scholars people from other viewpoints than what you hold yeah then your picture of what is being said in scripture is more well-rounded and probably a better picture of what's being said, even if you are reading two different contrasting views. Like your yeah. your ability to understand what is being said in a more nuanced way, you are better positioned to understand this section in a more nuanced way than someone who is just reading the ESV cold, nothing else. Right. And I actually was just going to say, like, I think an important part too is mm-hmm the complexity of some translations and a person's ability to understand it because when i first became a christian i was 18 but i've like never read the bible and so i actually read out of the the new living translation and to me in that part in that season in my life if you would have given me an esv or something like that i would have been like what is happening what am i reading right now and so but the thing is is in my personal journey the way that it actually went was i went to like from new living translation to niv um and i actually use esv right now so that's just an interesting way of how that ended up working is as my understanding deepened and i mean it's north central probably helped a little bit because i was like oh dang there's there's a lot of information here and then like i actually worked at lifeway christian bookstore for like four years so i learned a lot about the translations and learned a lot about like oh this, I didn't realize this is how they made it and what, you know, the differences are and all that. So I think it is important that, you know, no one says, Hey, you should, you should only read X translation. I yeah. do think there are positives and, and you know, pros and cons and all, but um, so, yeah, I just think it's important for, especially people are hearing this. They're like, Oh, well, I only re- read the like new living translation. It's like, well, did, are you growing closer to God with that? Like that's, I think an important thing. It's like, okay, well then that's good. Um, but also don't be afraid to be challenged either. You know? Yeah. Well, yeah. And don't, don't be afraid next time to read a more, um, a tougher translation as you right. up and grow. Like exactly. You should be reading all the other, you know, my wife listens to, um, there's a podcast, uh, that is, it's not everyday Bible, but this guy literally just reads the Bible a section of the Bible every day, and he goes to oh. the entire Bible in a year. And every single day, he's reading from a different translation. Mm. Like, sort oh, of, that's cool. Yeah, yeah he'll rotate, you know, NIV, ASV, KJV, da 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 da. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Translations, and it's really great 
hearing the various translations. Now, I think if you sort of sit down, I, I think if you stick with the translation for a season, that's best to do. Like if it's like, yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to read the Psalter, you know, I'm going to spend a whole year reading the Psalms. Yeah. I think you should stick with one, maybe do a couple of months and one translation mm -hmm. and you can switch. I yeah. wouldn't do it like every day you're flipping through by through, through your different translations. It's seasonal. Like you should, yeah, right. you should rotate it when necessary, but not, yeah. you know, too often. Yeah. Right. That's As good. you change your jacket, you know, <laughs> I, I think it's interesting too, like, because I've met some people and I'm like, man, you just don't read your Bible and you have no, you have no um, desire to, you yeah. know? And I think there's so many misconceptions about the Bible. That's why I'm loving this conversation. Oh yeah. Because yeah. Most, of those, most of those people are, are seminarians. So yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's like, but it's scary sometimes because there's people who are, I'll talk to someone and I'm, and I start having this conversation about faith and I'm, and I'm realizing your faith is about a half inch deep and it mm. may be about 10 feet wide. And so I'm like, I'm wondering, I'm sitting there and I'm thinking like, oh no, like, what do I say in this moment? And not, not that mine's probably more than two inches deep. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just, <laughs> I have maybe a few more bullets to fire. And, and so I'm wondering about, that's why I bring up these translations because some people it's like, okay, if you listen to this or if you listen to that, or don't ever preach from the message because, and I, I love what you said, mm -hmm. but the most frightening thing that you've said in this, this podcast, I think is a hundred percent true that I think is worth saying is there is a deep conviction that you have about the Bible or about God that is 100% wrong. And mm -hmm. I think that is the most absolute terrifying, frightening and exciting thing that you've said yeah. that I'm like, I want to yeah. find it. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like, I want to find it. I'm like, okay, Lord, like, let's find it right now. You know, like what's beautiful about that is you are not done. Like exactly. you are not who you are right now. I pray to God, you look more like Christ in 20 years than what you look like today. Absolutely. Man, that's right. And if yep. you have it all put together, if you have it all right, right now, then why the hell are you here? Like, <laughs> right. Amen. Dude, let's you know? go. Like you, you're done. Yeah. If that was the case, God would have taken you yep. a couple of you know months ago. Like right, exactly. You would have been good. You wouldn't need Christ. You wouldn't need you wouldn't need to hear the beautiful message that you are so freaking flawed yeah but you are also so freaking loved by the mm -hmm. creator of the universe yeah he wants you to become like him he wants right. to fellowship with you and you have so much more to like you have so much more time and so much more of the journey to go right I love that. And I, I've, I've spent a lot of time actually recently listening to the Bible project, a lot oh, of the yeah. stuff that they do. And, uh, I love them. I, you're a big fan. I, I that is the first place I point people to when okay. I start talking about some of my, some of the ways that I read the Bible, uh, Tim Mackey, who is the main, uh, Hebrew Bible scholar there. He worked with John Salhammer, who I talked about earlier. Okay. Okay. And, the way he reads the Bible is how if every Christian listened to the Bible project, all spend an entire year just watching one Bible project video a day, like we would be in such a good place as a church. Like, I agree. Wow. Wow. They, yeah. are, they are an unbelievable blessing to the church. Oh, 100%. Is just 
every single time I watch a video, even if I watch the same video that I've seen before, it is just gold. Their podcasts yeah. are awesome. They talk with great scholars. They're the best. Like, yeah. hands down, they're the best resource available. Ah, I agree with you. Have you ever checked them out, Zach? A couple, yeah. So yeah. Not like a ton, but a couple, yeah. Yeah, so I was listening to them. I think it changed a lot of my perspective um, when I was listening because I was doing the Bible in a year, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to switch it up. I'm just going to do the Bible project. So that's what I've been doing, and it's been incredible. It's actually just super, super powerful. But I think it's interesting because how they break it down and they really show you the, the exactly what you said earlier, like you're supposed to see that these people are flawed. I always go back to the conversation that I had with my grandpa, who's not a Christian. And um, he would always say to me, listen, this thing that you're going to college for, whatever you want to do it, it was thrown together by a bunch of people. They don't know what they're talking about. It doesn't relate to me now. And also there's so many bad things in the Bible. I don't want to be associated with it. And it's just like interesting now because that I haven't had conversations with them about that in a while and probably five, six years. And it's interesting now to have this perspective of, no, that's actually the point mm. is that there are all these terrible things and that's you and that's me and we yeah. need Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's just like having that conversation where like, this is all bad. Every And the, and the, com I mean, I'm sure you could, you know, you could kind of say, no, you're, you're wrong. The Dead Sea Scrolls, or, you're wrong here. It's, it's not passed orally. Uh, we could get into that argument, but the most, the simplest way to say it is, yeah, you're right. There's yeah. a lot of bad stuff. Welcome yeah. to the world. You yeah. know, like, so yeah. I, I just, I, I love what, I love what you said so far. And oh. I had to just pull a book for my bookshelf because you were talking about it. Look and... at this guy's bookshelf, by the way. Yeah. It's don't it's real. think don't... that this bookshelf is unintentional because <laughs> he was like, I'm going to make sure we record in front of Stupid. this bookshelf every time. And I've, I noticed <laughs> that for this specific podcast, there's more lights on. <laughs> I have one light in here. I have, I have one light in here. You, you sit weirdo. on a throne of lies, you scumbag. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. And <laughs> it doesn't mean I've read all those. I have, but it doesn't mean I've read all those. It's all I have. <laughs> um, no. So this one actually, really enough, was actually Tim Mackey has a pull quote on it. So, but no, it's how not to read the Bible. And mm. it's making sense of anti women, anti science, pro violence, and pro slavery, and other crazy sounding parts of scripture by Dan mm. Kimball. I don't know Dan Kimball and any of his other work, but Tim Mackey does have a thing on the back of it. And so does Scott McKnight, who I remember reading some of his books. Um, but anyway, kind of Jeff, like what you were saying, like, I was just sort of like, that's a like cool that you guys were actually like talking about that. You know what I mean? Just like, I don't know, just like a random thing I had to bring up. But anyway, sorry. No, I love it. Yeah. I love it. So how do I want to see how does this all connect to the church? Right. So like mm -hmm. now I'm part of the church. We're going to be actually relaunching this fall. Um, and it was just a, a lot of people who have been there forever and I'm, and we're, we're really forming a passionate thing. And, and I love looking at as a, being a student of the church, like you shared this thing on Facebook uh, a couple of weeks ago, the rise and fall of Mars Hill. And I've been listening oh, yeah. to that podcast and it is both like, just heartbreaking and then so interesting at the same time there i i shared a quote from that which is unbelievably important for every single young pastor who is either launching a church or planning a church or who is becoming a minister is your goal should never ever ever 
ever be a celebrity. Mm-hmm. You're both, yep. you'll never be the focus of a church. If you were to leave the church, you should pray that your church functions normally and beautifully and healthy mm-hmm. without you. And if your church doesn't, then yeah. you're the problem. Yep. And one of the, I think the, the quote that I said was something like, there is a, an entire, uh, there, there, there's a whole graveyard. Of, body count. Uh, uh, body count. That's what it was. There's a, whole, there's a whole body count of young pastors whose celebrity status mm-hmm. grew faster than what they were able to mature. Yeah. Yep. Like, your talent took you a place your char- character couldn't keep you. Yeah. And yep. that right there is exactly what the one of the biggest problem is with celebrity pastors you mm. should be so not not to say that we shouldn't listen to other pastors all right, all right not to say that we shouldn't hear from others but there is something about longevity in ministry we should mm-hmm. be propping up and loving and uh looking up to the pastors who have faithfully been preaching to a congregation of 100 people for five years, amen. small town, wherever they are, those should be the people that we should aspire to be here in ministry. I want to be like the pastor who has faithfully preached at this church for four decades to a congregation who has been through every single he, he has guided his congregants through every single death, through every yeah. single divorce, through every single marriage, through every single amazing thing that has happened to them and every single terrible thing that has happened to them. And he has remained faithful to his calling as a pastor. Yeah. That is far more beautiful than a 29-year-old who is a pastor of 10,000 people. 100%. Yep. Yeah. And and me and uh, me and Abby talk about this, my wife, and it's interesting because it's so much easier to grow a church based on your personality. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's way easier. Especially for extroverts. I mean, honestly, especially for like outgoing extroverts, like it's like all I got to do is be myself, make a few jokes, call my wife hot. They're going to love me. You know what I'm saying? It's it's even introverts too, though. Like it's any personality type. You build it based on your personality because someone's going to be attracted to the extrovert. Someone's going to be attracted to the introvert. That's fair. You build it, it, building a church based on the biblical principles of the Bible and of community values is 10 times harder and has the longevity that you don't see anymore because when it's built on someone's personality, on someone's celebrity, it is so much so much easier to fail and but that the temptation is there yeah because you're standing up and because we have so propped up leaders and pastors and whoever to be these figures that can never fail when yeah. they're preaching a bible where everyone failed it's yeah. such yeah. a ridiculous thing that we do yeah and we should not assume that fruit especially quick instantaneous fruit is equivalent to success in ministry. Yes. Or that that is the measure of success in ministry that, Oh, we doubled the size of our church every year for the past five years or something like that. Like we have can do as, as you know, we're talking about how does our current society affect the way that we think about things? 
we think about productivity, we think about growth. Why? Because we have a marketing mindset that's instilled in all of us. Absolutely. At some point in time, we, I mean, we, our society is about efficient algorithms, which are there to make sure that you grow at scale. Yep. That's 100%. what's ingrained in mm-hmm. you. And so when you say, when you look and you see, oh, we're growing at scale, we're planning five more churches, we have satellite churches, da, 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 all of these things. Look what we've done. We've done this faster than any other church in the past five years. That is a recipe for collapse. It's a recipe for corruption. Yeah. And you are just asking for all of this to implode and for you to be disqualified for ministry. Absolutely. And I actually want to say that I think my biggest, I'm going to be honest, like a critique, and I realize this is a personal critique. But I have always struggled with those big churches, even even I listen to a lot of their sermons, to be honest, but this is my struggle as someone that's a very strong people person. And when I think about ministry, it's like, I want to be able to know everyone's name in the church. And I realize that like, when you have a church, it's like a 1000 people like that's still not bad. Like, it's not like there's a bad number for it. But I think you should at least own the family's name, you know, and when you have these churches that are 10,000, 20,000. Uh, five locations, 10 locations, and you're the lead pastor and everyone's listening to you, watching you, and you don't know the name of your flocks. Like you, you might know the, the the people who tithe the most. You know what I mean? Well, you but you for I think, sure know them. Oh, well, you for sure know them. That's true. And like, that's so, it, yeah, it's just so wrong. And my, and again, I don't have a problem just saying that because, and again, I'm not saying that like those pastors that do that are sinful and they're not preaching the word of God. Again, I listen to their sermons, so I'm not saying that. But at the same time, it's like you said, a recipe for disaster because mm-hmm. I just think like, oh, he's, he's my pastor. Really? If you saw him at the airport, would he, would, would you reach out to him or would he reach out to you? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And like, that's the thing is it's like thinking about ministry and it's like thinking about pastoral just life is like, no, I mean, what's the whole idea of a flock and a shepherd? Like he knows his sheep, right? Like that's like the, the whole point of it. Can you imagine? I mean, Jesus be like, well, I think I've seen him a couple of times. It looks kind of familiar. I just, you know, uh, I don't know if he goes, you know, it's just like, you don't want that, you know? Um, so that's just a, a side note that I think from what you said, like it can so lead to, it can so lead to disaster. And I think, especially we've seen today is so many celebrity pastors that have these moral failings. You know what I mean? Like so many, it keeps happening. All of us will have moral failings in ministry. Good right. clarification. Of, yeah. Yeah. But there are safeguards to, not have certain moral failings that will disqualify you from ministry right, right. Or rightfully disqualify from you from ministry right yeah. yeah good clarification right yeah 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 right um there's obviously boundaries of that we need to have for for grace but right because your pastor guess what he probably curses when he stubs his toe Just, <laughs> right like you for know, sure i do yeah thinks he at least thinks he at least thinks you know a, a certain word a certain word pops in his head when he stubs his toe right right um, right right so yeah. uh, but how does he or how does your pastor um interact with other elders or other people in ministry yep. yeah or people that disagree with him yeah you know what they, i mean like oh let call that call him out um mm-hmm. you know it's um that is completely different than you know stubbing your toe so right there there are certain boundaries and we have seen it time and time again and guess what unfortunately we're going to see it some more because yeah that's just how all of this happens and 
one thing that I've learned to try to safeguard myself away from that is that Christ is the one who I am trying to be like. I'm not yeah. trying to be like this celebrity pastor because if I try to be like the celebrity pastor, then not only am I going to tend toward or to going to uh, move toward their moral failings, but I'm going to add my moral failings on top of what they've already done. Right. Exactly. That's no bueno. Like, yeah. but if I bring, <laughs> yeah. But if, yeah. But if I bring my moral failings in and try to be like Christ, who has no moral failings, then yep. at least the moral failings I'm bringing to my ministry are just mine. <laughs> like, you know, um, and I'm the only. I'm the one who's responsible for it, and I can ask right. Christ to try to help me with them. Yeah. So, there's, yeah. Right. It's an interesting time mm. too, because like, I there's a lot of reformation and then there's people holding on to old models so like the village church completely separated which i think is is an interesting thing that maybe we'll see a reoccurring theme in the next several years hopefully i think it's actually i think it's a healthier model um, i mean I'm not, I'm not gonna lie i stay away from all of these mega churches so i yeah. don't know what the, i don't know what the village church is or anything like that okay I, well so I, basically I don't know anything that's happening just to <laughs> I, I try to stay away from uh broader trends in american christianity as much as possible <laughs> like that's where i'm at is that's, that's why he, he he's gonna have uh uh less moral failings in us that's why that's what I, that is <laughs> no well, certainly I, less than you but no well, that's that's, that's <laughs> like, true <laughs> i i try to i try to know what's happening here in the south bend area right 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 um, I try to, I mean, obviously I try to know what's happening in the local church that I'm uh, serving in. And uh, other than that, like I, obviously I get sucked into what's the cool latest thing to uh, hate each other about within the clickbait. Yeah. The clickbait. I mean, (laughs) that, I mean, I guess this leads to a whole other discussion that we don't have to go to, but um, let's go there. We're it's just getting fun right now. Yeah. Um, if you engage in the current moral outrage of the day, mm-hmm. you are just being swayed and blown in the wind by all the latest cool things. Mm. Um, and you don't have a solid foundation with which you're building your faith on. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, not to say that certain things that are happening are not important to talk right. about. Right. But if your immediate if a theological discussion or theological debate happens and your immediate reaction is to take a side and to prop up that side and everyone who is on that side, then yes, you are being swain. Sure. Yep. And blown away or blown back and forth between every doctrine that happens. Like, but if you take what's being said, examine it with what scripture is saying, examine it with what, those who have gone before us in the church have said and build your ideology of this certain thing that's happening. I mean, there are hundreds of things right now that we could talk, that we could say some yeah. more hot button issues than others, but if you build your foundation of how you are to address this issue in your church upon scripture and upon church history, rather than, what this person on TikTok or this person on Twitter or this person on Facebook or this person on YouTube says, then your foundations will be so much more solid. And you, again, it's all about becoming more like Christ. You yeah. will address this hopefully 
more like Christ would address this than someone on Facebook who's just shooting off whatever, yeah, whatever fake internet points they want to get, whatever they want to say, <laughs> fake internet points. Right. Give me yeah, the they likes. got their BuzzFeed yeah. article and they're gonna, yeah. you know, or their yeah. Babylon B. So let me ask you, what what are your thoughts on like the um and if if any on like deconstructionism like this this is a big thing that's happening i think um and i think there's there's validity to it in certain aspects but how we're taking it not just as a culture as a whole but specifically biblically uh please define deconstructionism the way you want that you're envisioning it that's a good question so because i was going to ask the same question so um so i guess I would probably define it as, let's see, taking away the, like looking at the trauma that church might've caused you and saying, okay, that's not of Jesus or some specific biblical like thing, whether it's purity culture or um, no sex before marriage or things like that. And then saying, you know what, like, that's not the God that I want to serve. I believe my God is this. Mm. And then like constructing the idea of, okay, God is love and only love. There's no wrath of God because the wrath of God makes me feel uncomfortable, which means that that's not God. Mm -hmm. And so that's my long-winded way of kind of answering. Like when people reconstruct it, it seems like it's more like I want to make God into my own image. Well, yes. And 100%, but also I'd add to that. You're no longer meant. You've mentioned this probably three or four times community of saints. And also you're going to look back at, elder saints like people that have gone before you and written books hundreds of years old we're no longer reading them because right. we're deconstructing them based on right. their moral flaws so their yeah. writings are and no their, longer their valid. patriarchy and, and whatever else yes exactly so and because of that they're not valid like their thoughts aren't valid right yeah. which will eventually be to the entire bible in my opinion agreed exactly if yeah. it's not already there yeah true one of the things that i Try, when coming to something like this that I try to do is, I mean, go back to, I said earlier, is there's a reason people are wanting to uh, follow this deconstructionism that you're talking about. There is true, there, there have been truly traumatic experiences yes. in 90s period, 80s, 90s purity culture. Yeah. Um, there are there have been and there is a horrific record of uh sexual abuse or um spiritual or physical or all all of these abuses that are done within the church yes um that rightfully we should look at these abuses and say there is nothing about this that looks like christ 100 percent None of this. So the the reaction to push back against something that doesn't represent Christ and his perfection is right to push back on. Agreed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. However, it is far easier to tear down than it is to build. Yeah. And it is far easier to assume that someone that you can be a better builder than someone before you, right? Mm -hmm. It is, it goes back to the 
the epistemic humility I was talking about is, do you truly think you will not create a system that is inherently going to uh, be flawed? And mm-hmm. if you do, then you already, you're starting out at a really bad place. Damn. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Um, not to say that we shouldn't make things better and there shouldn't be things we should pull back on. But to view others through a lens, to, to look back, especially look back in history um, and say, because so-and-so um, had this certain view of something and not to say that we should not. So for example, there's some Puritans that um, upheld slavery, for example. Um, and we should look back on them and say that was horrific. Yep. And we yeah. should not be propping up what they taught about um about other races, right? Yeah, absolutely. Like, there are horrific things that these people um, believe. They were horrific now, and they were horrific then. Mm-hmm. Um, however, we have to ask the question, is history going to judge us in a similar way if we follow down the path that I am right and everything? Mm-hmm. Um, and it is far easier to judge others than it is to judge ourselves for having moral failings. Yeah. Mm, yeah. So it is, we should absolutely, I mean, th- this is actually the point. I mean, this is, um, you know, as, a, as someone who is a good uh, reformed person is we should constantly be assessing ourselves through the lens of scripture and through the lens of the revelation of God to his people. Mm-hmm. And every single denomination, every single church movement, every single ism <laughs> is going to have to continuously ask itself, am I conforming myself to scripture? Am I looking like Christ? Not only am I looking like Christ, not looking like Christ right now. So how do I better become like Christ? Like what, what can I do so that I can move toward Christ? Yeah. And guess what? In a hundred years, that denomination or ism is going to have to keep asking those questions every yeah. single day because you're not going to look like Christ perfectly um, until the resurrection. Like you're not. Yeah. Like your your process of sanctification and glorification, like you are, it's lifelong in all of us. Yeah. And yeah. to assume you've got it all right because you're uh, pissed off because of the because of the real trauma that you have that that somehow gives you a higher moral uh compass is uh full of hubris that can be dangerous Mm -hmm. Um, and we should obviously listen to people who have had traumatic experiences and absolutely give them a voice right uh, and make sure that uh we do not perpetuate um injustices or abuses that the church has 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 done and so right one of the things that we have to get away from is having knee-jerk reactions to 
everything that happens. Yeah. Because there were good reasons to have a purity culture, right? Like it's mm-hmm. like, yeah. I mean, to at least the, the idea of a of the purity culture was, right. was good, right? Like it's yeah. good to promote a healthy marriage where, um, I mean, having, you know, a, a marriage where you have these health, these, these two people who love each other and who are in harmony and who are raising a family. Like there's, like there's, there's a reason that there's, that the purity culture was sort of set up. That doesn't mean that it didn't lead to abuses. And the same way is is if we deconstruct and then reconstruct, we're going to create places where people are going to abuse the system we create or misuse the system we create. And to assume that that's not going to be the case, like that's going to be the case until Christ returns. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't try to find safeguards around it and try to stop it but you're not going to create the perfect system. Yeah. Right. Um, That's like the perfect answer though, because it's yeah. like, you're really saying like, Hey, it's even, it's not the knee jerk reaction. Yes. We need to make changes. Yes. We need to recognize abuses and we need to make sure that there's safeguards in place. But mm-hmm. if we just all of a sudden say, no, we're ripping it all down to build it again. We right. may very well just create the same abuses in a different form. Yep. Right. And when you do that, you actually might end up ripping down Christ with it. And you know what I mean? Like, that's something that I've thought of that people will deconstruct their faith. And I don't like the term. I like the term deconstructing your theology. Like, I always think, like, what theological things do I view that I'm like, hey, maybe this doesn't actually line up with what scripture is teaching, you know? But then I think of the idea of deconstructing your faith in Jesus. Like, I think of that and I'm like, that is a slippery slope. And I realize that's, again, that's my opinion. But at the same time, if you start deconstructing your faith in Jesus, I, I don't see that. I, I feel like the majority of people, um, and again, I have no statistics to back this up, but the majority of people that start to deconstruct their faith are never Christians again. Mm. And again, that's, I have zero like facts to say, well, 98% of, but my own personal kind of experience with friends of mine that we all know that went to North Central that, you know, they went through that period. You know, you might ask them, Hey, you're a Christian. You follow Jesus, whatever term you want to use. Um, I doubt their answer is going to be yes. Right. And I think one thing, maybe we were, you sort of hit on this as well is, I do not want God to look like me. Yep. Mm -hmm. Right. Exactly. Like number one, if God looks like me, thinks like me, reacts to things like me, then the universe is in trouble. I'm just going to say the world is screwed. (laughs) That's the case. Like you guys are screwed. I'm screwed. Yeah. All five listeners are screwed. (laughs) Sorry, mom. Um, <laughs> mom, you're screwed. I'm sorry. Um, you raised a god that looks like your son. Like you're in right. Yeah. You raised a son who looks like yeah. Um. So, if you want God to look like you, then you are no different than a pagan. Mm-hmm. What is paganism? Paganism is creating God in your image. Golden calf. Yeah. Mm-hmm. the reason why you create God to look like yourself is because you've looked inward 
and you said, I'm so great. I'm so awesome. God should look like me. I'm somehow, I have, I'm, I'm the peak of all of it. Yeah. And if God looks like me, all of us are in trouble. Mm -hmm. So when we get to this idea of constructing our theology or deconstructing our theology, whatever, I have to ask the question personally, am I making God in my own image when I am thinking about this aspect of my theology or thinking about my Christology or thinking about my theology proper or my ecclesiology, all of these other ologies within mm -hmm. the broad realm of theology. And if the theology I'm constructing of this certain thing, if God looks like me as I'm constructing that, then I'm in trouble because I am creating an idol. Mm -hmm. Like, there are a lot of things in my about God and who he is that is not like me. And I have a lot of issues with. Um, but at the end of the day, those issues are about me, not about God. Yeah, right, right. Right. Um, hmm. I am the one who has to be conformed to his image. Yes. Not him to my image. Yes. So as we are thinking about... What do we think about God? What do we think about the self, about ourselves? What do we think about the world? All of these things, we have to separate our own selves from that equation, um, which is almost impossible. And some would say it's impossible, but there are various ways you can do to mitigate the, that factor. And the more we can do that, the more painful that process Um probably the more that the more i am envisioning god to be who he is in his glory and in, in mm -hmm. his beauty and his majesty mm -hmm. i i'm not beautiful or glorious or ma majestic in my own um what i do and what i say and who i am and what i think and how i treat others mm-hmm well, I, you know, I know this is a, uh, you know, it's usually about your story, which you've told your story, but I think what you've been doing is actually telling God's story, which is yeah. really all of our story anyway. You know what <laughs> I mean? Like, that's what I've loved about this whole, our all of this whole conversation is like, it's been saying, hey, like, this life is not just our life. Nope. You know what I mean? Like, and you have, I think, challenged both Jeff and I about like, oh, dang, like, Okay, well, not only have I got to get back in the, you know, I got to stop just reading Matthew and then just jump in. You know, it's like, dang, I, let's go. Like, <laughs> Psalms on the Psalms on Matthew, let's go. No, it's like, hey, let's challenge our, challenge ourselves a little better. And I just appreciate you for just being honest with how much you know, but also how much you, you know, certain things you don't know. Right. You know I mean, like, you could have come on here, you could have spun a yarn and like, scholarized everything. And we would have been like, cool, that's amazing. I literally you know, would have been like, yup. You know, <laughs> yep, <laughs> true. No, but that's like, next time. I'll, yeah. next time. <laughs> I'll just read the Mark Greek two. straight for nine hours next time. Perfect. That's all I Dude, ask. I that's think we need asking. to do another one. Even <laughs> even though I'm not done, I don't know if Zach's kind of signaling that he needs to go to bed. No, that wasn't a signal about oh, that at okay, all. Okay, I just okay. that was more of like, uh, um, you know how Joe Rogan sometimes talks about like he'll like have an interrupt, like a because now he's on Spotify, he has like commercials. Um, he'll just interrupt. That's his commercial of just like. I don't know, 
it's freaking great. And like, I don't know, I'm just trying to think like how impactful, like somebody listening to this, the other four people listening is going to listen to this. Um, we lost a follower. That was, that was my thought. Um, yeah, my, mom, or, my mom left. She was done. She, she's I, like, I've heard enough from him. My son um, who looks like God, I'm out. Yeah. I'm out, Unsubscribe. I'm but no, He's it's really like the, the people that made it like I'm saying the people that's made this far because I'm sure this is the longest podcast we've done so far. Mine was the longest for a while, but I think we've hit that um, is just, just like this is going to be super healing to a lot of people like mm-hmm. truly. And it's going to be su- it's going to clear up a ton of things of misconception that that they ha- they've had about God, about the Bible, about the Old Testament as well of just being like, oh, wait, I guess it does maybe in about church. Gosh, you've covered like so many things. So. Uh, that was more just to let um, you uh, know, don't leave yet because we're not done with you yet. Um, so I know Jeff's got some questions. <laughs> I got so many questions. I think, no, but I love exactly what you said. Like the beauty of God, like you keep just coming back to this. Like, this is what it's all about. Yeah. And if I could, if I could talk to someone who like do it again and, and then, and I, and I always try to articulate this to someone who's just giving their life to Jesus is like, mm-hmm the most important thing about you, in my opinion, is what you believe about God. Mm. So what do you believe about God and how are you going to continue to say, do I see God like me or do I see yep. it, him like who he is and the yep. majesty and the beauty and the unbelievable like things that he's done. And I, looking throughout the entirety of scripture, the incredible story that is intertwined and completely connected, it just paints a beautiful picture. And I think I actually have a lot of hope when I think about it in that way. Yeah. I'm not looking at the world as like, we're screwed. You know yeah. what I mean? I'm looking as like, no, this is what it's all about. Yeah. And it brings me so much hope to hear this conversation where you're talking about it again and again and again, like it's connected. It's beautiful. It's deeper than you think you got to work harder than you want. Like those yeah. are things that you said and that's the beauty in it that I see. No matter what culture war is happening right now, mm-hmm at the end of the day we are headed for the garden of eden yeah like, you are headed for the new heaven and the new earth yeah christ reigns god is glorified and we through the holy spirit participate in the trinity like forever mm, yeah. that's where we're headed all like no matter what theological debates are happening today that's as long as you continuously faithfully set your eyes toward christ the beauty of god and are transformed every day into the image of god's son by the holy spirit if that is you every day by millimeter by millimeter getting closer and closer to the new heavens and new earth then you are in a freaking good situation (laughs) like yeah Yeah. come on no matter what is between there and here like no matter if it's death or persecution or pain or suffering you know it's there we the end destination is the glorification of god and him inviting us into participating in that glory forever yeah Uh, Mm -hmm. that's that's what i find so beautiful about it is um that that's the design of all of this right yeah and god this ultimate creator like wants you and me to be in that relationship and he's faithful to it. Yes. I think one of my favorite stories, like 
just thinking about this in the Old Testament is Abram when um, when God, you know, when he cuts all the animals in half and God comes through like the cracking pot or the, the lightning and God says, no, I'm going to make this promise on me, not on yeah. you, oh, yeah. on me. Yeah. And that that part when he's like walking through the blood and he's walking through those animals cut in half brutally mm-hmm. is just one of the most gruesome and beautiful pictures of life yeah. when you see that when you're and that's the promise that's the covenant that he's made it's on him yeah what what mm. other name is higher than god's yeah that he himself takes the covenant being faithful to the covenant on himself without condition mm. without reservation he completely gives himself over to us and he's faithful to everything that he says and does even to the point of becoming like us yep lying on the cross humbling himself to death even death on a cross so that he can not only be raised in glory but bring us up along with him and pull us out of the dirt and pull us up out Mm. of the sinful state we are in so that we can share in that glory. Yeah. I love it. God does. I love it. That's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not about us. Like, I just think like the, like a continual theme of just everything you've been saying, it's a, it's a, it's a hard reminder that it's not a, like, it's not about us yet. Mm -hmm. God chooses us. You know what I mean? Like, I think that's the craziest thing that like, no, it's, it's all pointing to Jesus. And yet Jesus is saying to us, like, no, I'm actually, you know what, guess what? Like, yeah, you're kind of trash a lot, but I'm choosing you. I love you. Like, <laughs> and, and at the end of the day, it's like, Jesus, I know I'm trash. You don't have to well, tell me. I know. Wait, when you read the book of Hosea, who are mm-hmm. you? Oh. Hosea. You're the prostitute. <laughs> Gomer, that's right. right? Yeah, that's right. Yep. You, are, you are Gomer the prostitute up. who yep. continuously leaves her husband and prostitutes herself out. Mm-hmm. And Christ is the bridegroom who continuously comes back, pulls you from your terrible state and loves you unconditionally and is faithful to his end of the covenant, no matter how many times you have broken it. Yeah. That is not about you. <laughs> that is about not at all. Christ and who he is and how he is faithful. Yeah. You are not faithful. He is. And that is our hope in life and in death. I think Zach's mind just got blown. No, it did. (laughs) No, it did. No, sorry. So yeah, my my interruptions were just more like my brain trying to keep keep up. But how much of a crazy like stumbling block is that though? You know what I mean? When you you think about it, Mm. and I mean this in the way that for people that realize that it's not about us because we want it to be about us. Yeah. What I mean, what's Instagram for? What's the like button for? It's about us. Like it's about that endorphin rush. Like how many likes did I get on this picture? How many watches did I get? Like all of these things. It's it's all about us. And then like to have someone say, actually, you know what? Like it's not about you. Yeah. And to realize that no, the Bible actually is not pointing towards you. You have to realize that when you open the Bible, it's not like, okay, God, where am I today? It's God, where are you? Mm-hmm. And how do I fit into this? Like, show me how I fit into this. I know it's on, like, I just think that that's, a, and when I say stumbling block, like, 
people want it to be about them. So when they hear like, wait, God, this isn't about me. Mm-hmm. Like, but isn't that the way life is supposed to be? Mm-hmm. And I go back to what we talked about earlier. And I don't, I wonder if this is just a, a, a purely like, western civil like society thing american thing in the sense of the individual versus the community and i don't know the background all this but my thoughts are just going towards like individualistic thinking it's about me Mm -hmm. like it's it's and i just am just so blown away by that that you know people want it to be about them so bad and then when they find out that it's not about them they have a crisis of faith a crisis of um, everything, you know, in their whole life, because they're like, yep. wait, I, th- God loves me. That's a fact, but it's not about you. You know yep. what I mean? I think that's like, you realize those are not like opposites. It's like kind of like two, two sides of the same coin. Like it's not about you and God loves you. Yeah. You know? And I think just everything you're saying is just continually just pointing towards that. And I think, um, I wish more people knew that, but it's also a good convicting reminder to myself and probably Jeff as well that, yeah, no, this, this isn't about us. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Well, and I think you just keep hitting on it again and again and super powerful, but it's you, you, this shouldn't get old, you know, like it really shouldn't. It's like the, I love this statement that um, I can't remember someone was telling me, I can't remember exactly who said it, but they see as people get older, you either get sweeter or you get bitter. Like you, you, you know, an old person, you're like, you're either the sweetest human ever or you suck. You know what I mean? Like, it's like hard. No to in between. You. There's no in There's between. There's really it's no in between. Yeah. And it's like, I see that as like one has been formed maybe by joy and, and they, maybe they're not a Christian. Maybe they're just whatever been formed yeah. by joy and love. And one's been formed by anger and yeah. bitterness. Yeah. And so it's like, what are you going to meditate on? What are you going to be formed by? And so the love that you have, it's like, how do you, how do you get to that process of, I want to make sure that I'm formed in the way of love and joy and peace. Yeah. And this is the picture. I, I personally, I'm, I'm not the biggest fan of C.S. Lewis. So I know that this is like Ooh. already, sorry. Ouch. However, <laughs> I love Narnia. Okay. Okay. I love, That's weird. love Narnia. But his, However, theolo- his theology sucks. No, I'm just kidding. He's, he's, he's all right there. He's, <laughs> this is all him. But anyway, continue. It's fine. He writes his his uh, his sci-fi is decent. True. Uh, However, his imagery, uh, his um, picture that what is eternity? Eternity mm. is you. It's sort of uh, a line. And a trajectory that you are on mm. and if your trajectory is going toward christ then for all of eternity you are going to continue to look like christ mm-hmm. if that is your trajectory you're not you're never going to get there fully but it's sort of like uh sort of like a black something uh, and you know the circles a black hole like it gets closer, oh, yeah. closer and closer but it takes forever to get there yeah, never yeah. going to fully get there but for all of eternity all of us will be encircled around the throne of god becoming more and more like god in deeper and deeper ways and all of eternity is us rotating and slowly becoming more like god and that is the trajectory of eternity you're either that or your trajectory is somewhere else mm-hmm. we're going to look less and less like christ 
And there's only two options. You were either going toward Christ or away from him. Yeah. And by going toward him, you get to enjoy his beauty, his majesty, the sweetness of who he is. Mm-hmm. Or you're moving away from him and you're going to be this bitter, angry person who hates God, who doesn't look like Christ. But yeah, and that's sort of the imagery he has. And yeah. Um, you're either looking more like Christ or you're not and that through all eternity you're either going one or two ways right so basically what professor is saying is throw away all that C.S. Lewis crap (laughs) uh never I'm still trying to get Val on board we don't know if we're having a boy yet or not but if we have a boy Lewis has to be the middle name yeah it's like a non-negotiable for me right now but oh you know community of saints man that's right. Yeah, exactly. saints, read them where they're good. Read yep. them where they're bad. Yep. Take what they say that's good. You know, keep let them keep what they say that's bad. Right. But still read where they say where, where they when they're wrong. Yeah. Still read them. Um, right. But don't but, treat them as gospel. I think that's an important no. thing. Like again, I love C.S. Lewis. I've read almost all of his books in regards to theology and fiction. Um, but like, there are some times I'm like, I don't know about that, man. Like, I probably wouldn't go that. But that doesn't mean I'm gonna throw him away. No, you know I'm what I mean? Joking. Like, no, I know. I'm just bringing up a point though. Like, especially with like this, like the scholars, like the thing, people that you agree with, like disagree with, like, I don't know, just, I mean, make sure to kill your heroes. Like you said earlier, you know, but at the same time, don't be afraid to read people you disagree with. Um, yeah. Yeah. Kill your heroes, but love the saints of God. Yes. That's good. Good clarification. Yep. Is yeah. the second part that we should append. Yeah. To that, right. Right. I want to ask one, one, one final question and it's not going to be a, a short one, but so you <laughs> said, has all, no questions have been short this whole thing. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, you said earlier, okay, that you have your reformed theology, but you grew up in more of the AG Pentecostal theology. Um, so what is the change that you decided to make and what do you, what's like your reasoning behind that? And, and, you know, you could get it go as wherever, as far as you want to. Yeah, so there's sort of different waves and stages of that. So <laughs> getting back to my rebellious, uh, my, my rebellion as a thinker, um, I remember this might have been either sophomore, it was probably sophomore year, I had a, no, it might have been junior year. There were a couple of guys who moved on, in, onto my floor. We spent an entire semester having Calvinism debates and... <laughs> They were as most Calvinism debates are in Bible college, where we're debating the five points because we don't actually know what Calvinism is because we haven't actually read anything about Calvinism. <laughs> we're only debating Calvinism because we think it's cool and because we're, we're Bible college students. We don't know anything, but we think we know it all. Yeah. Uh, and that turned into someone talking about Beth, Bethlehem Baptist and uh, I think it was actually Dr. Amy who I love Dr. Amy so much. Mm-hmm. She was my Greek. You know, Dr. Mayo was my first semester Greek professor um, or first year Greek professor, but Dr. Amy was also, you know, she taught oh, yeah. and also some other courses that I took and I love Dr. Amy. She's incredible. Yeah. She's just, I, she's, she, Buzz is my like, number one inspiration and dr amy is easily number two yeah so it's so close just incredible people her i mean 
I hope that I love my students half as much as Dr. Amy loves hers. Yeah. Right. That's and and also her her ability to teach Greek and, and, and scripture is just beautiful. Um, but I remember we were at a Bible and theology uh, chapel. So we had department chapels, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. One of them was for Bible and theology. And someone mentioned, I think it was her, or she was having a conversation with someone. Uh, don't go to Bethlehem Baptist church because <laughs> that's where the Calvinists are. And we don't listen to Calvinists. And I automatically went, well, I know where I'm going on Sunday. And <laughs> I, I love that it out loud, but it, it was immediately the first thing I did was, you know, pull out my iPhone, look at Bethlehem Baptist, like, oh, this is right down the road. Away. <laughs> um, and so I started going to that church and found that the rigorous disposition towards scripture that was very appealing to me Mm -hmm. now i'm now looking now where i'm at i'm quite critical of a lot of the things that were taught there and a lot of the things that they i mean there's a lot of issues now that has come about that unfortunately um has been revealed this week you know with Pastor Jason uh, resigning because of very similar things that happened with Mars Hill, Mm. Um, you know, with personalities and all of that fun stuff. However, what I found in the Reformed tradition was very similar to, or was, was the opposite of what I had in the Pentecostal tradition I grew up in, Mm -hmm. in terms of structure and order and a desire to go to scripture for your ideas about God rather than experience that is often put on a pedestal in a lot of Pentecostal circles, especially in the circle, the ultra fundamentalist Pentecostal circles I grew up in. Right, exactly. You referenced earlier. Yeah, that was all about experience. And so I gravitated toward that and since then have sort of gone deeper into the rabbit hole of reform theology because if people don't know reform theology is not the five points of Calvinism Calvin never articulated a five points uh that was all in later reformers who were responding to anti-Calvinists disinformation well it is a simplification of an entire system of theology okay that makes sense so reform theology has a lot of flavors it is uh, so james k smith has a book uh, letters to a young calvinist that i read early on and uh, one of my mentors told me to read early on one of my mentors who was not a Calvinist who told me not to become a Calvinist, but said, I can't stop you from becoming a Calvinist, but what I can do is point you toward good books to read. Uh, Letters to Young Calvinists by James K. Smith was really good and helpful for me because I avoided most of the cage stage that is associated with Calvinism. 
mm-hmm. had realized early on that the world of reformed theology is like James K. Smith has this imagery that the world of reformed theology is like a mansion. And the five points of Calvinism is the foyer in the front door of <laughs> theology. And if all you do, if you visit a mansion, and if all you do is stand in the foyer, gaze at the front door, gaze at whatever knickknacks are on the little table that are there, if all you do is stay in the foyer of a mansion, you do not know what the rest of the mansion looks like. Mm-hmm. You don't know what the massive dining room looks like. You don't know what these grand bedrooms look like, the crazy pool in the back, all of this. And Reformed Theology is a massive mansion with different rooms and different flavors and different thinkers and different aspects of understanding who God is with the intention of constantly going back to Scripture as your primary place of understanding who God is, the primary revelation of God. And I, even though dabble quit, kept dabbling in five points, because that's what people about <laughs> Baptists do, and that's what young Calvinists do, but as I started reading other people within the Reformed tradition, I found that Reformed theology is not just about predestination. It's not just about limited atonement. It's not just about election but it's a comprehensive view of, it's a comprehensive lens with which to view scripture that I believe is the most accurate to um, the God represented in in the Bible. Mm. Not to say that there are not inherent flaws that Mm -hmm. I'm fully aware of, that I struggle with, that I disagree with, that I find problematic. However, um, I am a I'm willing to to uh, there though there are certain flaws I am willing to be okay with and have caveats for since the system as a whole is pretty faithful to scripture. Mm. So that's where I'm at. And I know that was, that might've seemed very 30,000 feet, you know, mm-hmm. instead of getting into Tulip, but I find Tulip quite boring. <laughs> it, it is when 99% of reformed theology is a thousand times better than Tulip. Right. Exactly. When that's what you showed with kind of what you were talking about. Exactly. Is yeah. Most people think like, Oh, you're reformed. Okay. Well, Am I predestined to go to heaven or hell? I mean, you tell yeah. me, is it double yeah. predestination? How does this work? You know, it's just like, and I remember being, you know, especially at North Central when it's like, I didn't really know about Calvinism before I got there, to be honest with you. I'd been a Christian for like three or four years, but I didn't really know about it. And I started hearing about it. And I was like, oh, they think that God predestines who saved? Oh, wow. Don't want to be a part of that group. You know, that's <laughs> like, it's in that box. And then I remember, obviously, I get to know, I mean, obviously, you're probably one of the main Calvinists that I actually got to know. Or like reform people, probably like you know. The, and I was like, oh, "Don't label him as that. Come on now." <laughs> anyway, um, and so I was just like, "Oh dang!" Like, okay, he's not a tool. You know what I mean? Like, truly. <laughs> no, I mean, I'm being honest. Like, I was like, okay, like I thought it was super funny because I was like, okay, cool. My RAs like reformed. I'm for sure not. How's this gonna go? And I was like, dang, this is amazing. Like, this is. And honestly, I wasn't raised AG, so like. Mm-hmm. 
I always love, I remember one of our first conversations that we had is we we're talking about something and you were like, yeah, but I love beer. And I was like, I love beer. <laughs> like, wait. And then I was like talking about like loving Guinness or stout or something like that. And then we started talking about it and I was like, wait, wait a minute. You're, you're one of, you're one of my people. You're a fellow saint. Like, let's go. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so I think that's just the fact that like, gosh, we're so much more like, much more in common than we think we have you know especially yeah. people that we because at the end of the day if we like went down a checklist of hey this is what i believe the bible says this is what i believe jesus says to be honest not all of our lists are going to match up perfectly you yeah. know what i mean i think that's like kind of the whole point of what you're saying is like no that's actually okay like yeah that's not a bad thing my my some of the people i love most in life are wrong about certain aspects of their theology Mm-hmm. yet when we get to the new earth mm-hmm. and all of us are worshiping god they are going to be far closer and look far more like christ than i do mm-hmm. and i will mm-hmm. um and my doctrine of since i am right on my doctrine of predestination <laughs> and they are wrong on their doctrine of predestination that's not going to matter no nope. They are standing next to me, and we are glorifying God forever. Yeah. It's okay to disagree and to talk about those disagreements, but if that disagreement causes us to lose our love for the saints, mm-hmm. then it is not worth arguing for. Yeah, I right. love I love what you said too about like if we just walk in like what you said from the book and we just see the front door in the foyer that's so interesting because I think that's what we do not just in with the reformed tradition but with the bible we do that yeah. with anything yeah. we walk in take a glance around and then we make our decision yeah and and that is so inter- like that when you were talking about that I was yeah. like that's a hundred percent what I've done yeah. in regards to certain aspects of theology or maybe certain verses or, you know what I mean? We're yeah. historians. And I'm like, I walked in, took a few looks around. I'm like, nah. And I walked out yeah. and, and that's what, because maybe it's my comfortability. Yeah. Maybe it's my um, lack of motivation. Like I just don't want to go any farther into the mansion because I'm tired or whatever. Yeah. And that's, that's like, man, that's so interesting to think about that. Yeah. I love that you said that. And I'm going to write a Zillow uh, review on this mansion just by being in the foyer, right? Right. Oh my gosh. Right. right. This, right this house, this house, this mansion sucks. It's not as big as they Have said. Have you seen the foyer? Have you seen the foyer? <laughs> the, that's not the marbling I like. I don't know about the pool and the bedroom and the master bathroom that are pretty freaking sweet, but this but place it's not sucks. even. It's not even that though. It's saying, no, this place is terrible yeah. and it's not good. Zero out of five stars yeah. wouldn't buy but you yeah. didn't see it. You don't not, know it. They're not willing to step up to yeah. go upstairs to actually say, you know what? There's a there's a lot of stories to this. They're not willing to take the work that it's going to take to actually see more of more rooms, to see more of the house, to actually maybe even see, hey, who's the caretaker here? You know what I'm saying? Or it's like, hey, who who hangs out here? Who hangs on the guest room? Or like, you know what I'm saying? Like, who lives in this house? They just look at the foyer and don't realize like, oh, wait, there's actually humans here there's fellow saints like you said there's my fellow brothers and sisters that are here but right. i'm not willing to step into it because the foyer makes me uncomfortable yeah like oh so to get you past the foyer and reformed theology here are some things he's gonna do it you everybody listen 
you need to read the first two books of Calvin's Institutes. At no point in time do the, in those first two books does he talk about predestination. Mm. The first book is about knowing God and knowing yourself. And the second book is about Christ and who mm. he is. I took two classes in seminary on John Calvin um, because I wanted to read through the Institutes twice. I, I took a class on him, I had to read the Institutes twice. Phenomenal. So I was like, I'm taking another class on him where it was just talking about the Institutes. Really reading Calvin for who he is. I wept. Like there are tear spots in my Institutes because his description of who God is and who Christ is, is so unbelievably beautiful Mm. that it it revolutionized the way that I viewed Christ, his work, and um, it, it, it was unbelievable. I wept hmm. reading about Christ. Hmm. I had never heard a presentation of who Christ was in such a way. I still haven't by anybody. Wow. So read the first two books of Calvin's Institutes. There's no, you're not going to find Tulip there. You're not going to find anything about total depravity or unconditional election, or limited atonement, or irresistible grace, or perseverance of the saints. You're not going to find any of that. What you are going to find is a high view of God, and a high view of Christ mm-hmm. that is completely bound up with who is presented to us in Scripture. Yep, it's unbelievably beautiful. Um, another person is Herman Bavink. He's a reform. He's a Dutch Reformed theologian. He has a book called The Wonderful Works of God, which is his systematic theology. He has like a six-volume systematic theology that he he condensed into one volume that that was supposed to be used for everyday people. The Wonderful Works of God, um, I think Reformed, or or, uh, it just got re-released in a reprint that's beautiful. Um, But yeah, The Wonderful Works of God by Herman Bavings is absolutely beautiful. And it gives a summary of, reform theology again not as tulip as you'll get from the reformed people today but an organic view of reformed theology as a total systematic view of a way of understanding who god is and our place in god's universe Mm -hmm. so i would just challenge people that want to push back on reformed theology and just beat up tulip to go read calvin for Calvin's sick, especially books one and two. When you get into the later books, he starts talking about medieval Catholicism, and it's not really that relevant to what we're doing. Um, <laughs> it's not. It was for his yeah. day, and he's got really good things. But post most people's eyes would probably glaze over. I would well, assume. and post Vatican, the, the 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 Catholic Church doesn't believe that stuff, or most of that stuff anymore. Right, right, fair enough. Post Vatican two, a lot of that stuff is is changed. Um, and Herman Bavink's The Wonderful Works of God. Okay. Those two works, um, though, if they may not make you a tulip Calvinist, but they will make you love Christ more and, yep. and understand where you fit within that. Uh, those are probably two of the best resources that are good entry level. Yeah. That's well, awesome. The wife's got to know. I got to buy more books, so she'll love that. Yeah, I give you. I I give you permission to buy more books. They yep. should. The Calvin one is you can get you can get that for free. 
Like that's oh yeah, that would make sense. Access. Yeah, you know, if you if you do the ebook stuff, if you don't, the one volume set by Jeffrey Bridge, his translation is like twenty bucks from Hendrickson Press or something like that. I'm so. theologically against ebooks. I'll okay. be honest with you. So I, I, love that. I I think that uh, that's beautiful. I think yeah. it's it's a, heresy, it's a heresy to have PDF books. There it is. Yes. Amen. Not read a book on PDF. That's right. He, uh, he actually probably wouldn't know how. You know, I'm not saying that, exactly. that he doesn't know how to do things, but he would no, not know how to open a PDF. We're you bordering think, on heresy there. <laughs> you think Jesus could open up a PDF? If you gave him a computer right now, but not right well, I now. I think the creator right of freaking back then can open a dang PDF. <laughs> so that, that's where I'm at in yeah. terms of that reformed theology. Yeah, question. for sure. No, I, that's thank the you great for answering that. Yeah, for real, though. Like, that's a great way to say that. Like, exactly. I. Yeah. Like, I think I've grown a lot in my assumptions and everything towards like the reform theology. But at the same time, for people that were where where I was, which was very judgmental, like most people at North Central were, as you know, like because Calvinists were there, there were so there's so few of you there that it was like, oh, there they come. It was like you guys were like the goths of North Central. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like honestly, I was like, stay away from them. They'll, yeah. they'll, they'll tell well, you we about were, their tulip. Yeah. Well, and we were terrible Calvinists as well. Like, we were, we were terrible theologians and nice humans, but yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean, I tried not to be cage stage, but you know, sometimes it came out, but yeah. uh, one other rabbit trail. Yes. Is yes. Go Lig- for it. Ligon Duncan has a YouTube series on covenant theology, Ooh. which if you want to, if you want to really go down the rabbit trail, and at the end of a couple of weeks, be baptizing your baby full on Presbyterian. <laughs> you can listen to Lake Duncan, Covenant Theology. But in all seriousness, he offers one of the best, because I think Reformed theology is much more, I think the idea of Covenant Theology is far more representative of Reformed theology than Tulip. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. So, uh, Man, gosh, could you say that cool. name one more time in the title of it? Lig Ligon Duncan, L I G O N. Okay. First name, I know, like an old Southern name. Yeah, I was like, what? And Duncan, D U N C A N. He is the president of Reformed Theological Seminary. Okay. He has he has like a eighteen part series on covenant theology, where it's essentially him walking through the whole Bible but through a reformed lens. Okay. And that is probably one of the best summaries of reformed mm-hmm. theology I can think of. At no point in time does he talk about tulip and he actually distinguish he actually has a really good couple of lectures on dispensationalism which is so ingrained in American Christianity that yeah. we don't even know that we believe it or it's the default belief. And he he does a really good job distinguishing between covenant theology and dispensationalism and synthesizing what the what is generally understood as reformed theology yeah apart from tulip so right. yeah you'll make reformers out of, out of us uh, sooner or later that's what it yeah like. i mean <laughs> I want you guys i want you guys drinking beer baptizing <laughs> babies with beer with beer oh then, my goodness i um, love it and no um so so that there's that 
Yeah. No, thank you for answering that question. That's super helpful. And and I agree with you. Like I love the um one of the things I listen to most of the people I listen to preaching are reformed. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think it's because Mine I don't have, like in, so yeah. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. No, that's interesting. Yeah. I don't think I've ever listened to a specific Anglican person, but I'm saying like because I feel like the um emphasis on the scripture and on the Bible and the emphasis on Jesus as Lord is so valid and so important. It's yeah. it's not uh it's a lot of times we throw in the emphasis as Jesus is Lord on kind of like the last five minutes and our story and our topical sermon is the first 30 minutes. Yeah. And to me, it's just like yeah. it's a I'm sorry to say this. It's a waste of my time. I don't have yeah. time to listen to it. I'd rather listen to another podcast or a song. You know what I mean? Like, so yeah. I, that's why I actually, I love that part of it. I love yeah. listening to those things. I love developing in because that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed yeah. to have a, just a love for the word of God. And we're supposed to have a love for Jesus. So that's if, if I, if I where that's, if that's where we're going, I'm all in. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. And I will say, especially with the high view, kind of what you're talking about, I've always, especially with like reform, like if I want to like, hey, I want to learn this book about the Bible better. To be honest, I'm most likely not going to be going to someone who preaches a topical sermon. Right. You know what I mean? Like that might be a good one to get me inspired, get me like written to something like that's that's good, too. But if I'm like, you know what, I don't like this verse and I want to learn more about this. Like I'm going to go to someone more, more reformed person that like they might talk about themselves in the first two minutes of their sermon and that's it. Mm. And as someone who likes talking about myself, that's challenging to me, but I'm like, no, I know that it's possible, right. you know, to just not only just talk about yourself for a little bit, but then actually get into the meat of what the word says. And right. so I will say the, the reformed preachers are really good at that. Yeah. Well, and I think there is a stigmatism around it, which I'm glad you spoke to is that you're just, we, we really have this one issue and we're like, ah, I hate them for that. And it's like, well, first of all, we shouldn't be hating them at all. Right. It's true. That's not good. Yeah. And second of all, we need to understand like, what's the difference? And Hey, when, like you said, awesome. When I'm standing next to you in heaven and we're singing, holy, 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 who the heck cares? Mm -hmm. exactly. You know, at this point, like, are we moving more closer to Jesus? Yeah. Are we having a priority of meditating on the Bible? So in pure teacher, professor, doctor, future doctor, you know, like form, you've given us one, two, three, four books to read and Psalms chapter one, seven times. <laughs> to, to chew on and to have the cud just continue to be chewed yeah. and then spit out and chewed again. Yeah. yeah. Well, let me give you one more resource. Oh, hello. Uh, Biblingo. I know I have to drop that. Let's here. go. I was going to talk to you about that. So yeah, good. Go. Yeah. Uh, yeah. This is this is where you work, right? As we as we progress into hour three, um... <laughs> we actually are. <laughs> this is uh, we no. hit Joe Rogan's status. Let's I, go. <laughs> I told you I was up for I was up for a Rogan epic level podcast. Um, I'm down. I love uh, it. Uh, so I have to, I mean, I have to plug this because I think we're doing it best, but for those that want to dig deeper into biblical languages, we have, or so a team of, uh, I'm a part of a team uh, that is creating a platform that is helping people learn Greek and Hebrew in a way that is different than what is presented in seminaries and in Bible colleges. Okay. So we teach Greek and Hebrew as a living language on Biblingo. Hmm. And 
basically what we do is we take we take modern methods of language acquisition. So what so if you were to go learn Spanish somewhere, we teach Hebrew and Greek in the same way you would learn Spanish. Interesting. So, as a living language. That's not how Greek and Hebrew are presented in seminaries and Bible colleges. Right. Seminaries and Bible colleges normally just teach you Greek and Hebrew as a proxy to translate English. Yes. However, yep. right, right, rather than actually learning Greek and Hebrew, what most places do is they say, here's this Greek word that matches with this English word. Yep. What we do is we have, and, and people can go and we have a free trial where you can use our app for a cup for like seven days um, where you can see our method in action. So basically we have a bunch of videos and GIFs and pictures that are accurate to the ancient Mediterranean culture that help people visualize the, it's it, the um, vocabulary and we actually have people basically learn Greek, learn to speak and hear and process Greek and Hebrew. So we're having conversations wow. in Greek and Hebrew in our country. Wow. Rather than a bunch of grammar being spat at you for an hour or two in a lecture, most of our sex sessions are, you know, we have hour long sessions once a week where we meet in cohorts, people do the app beforehand, we meet as a cohort. And basically for like 80% of our cohort, we are speaking in Hebrew or Greek, whichever language we're on. And that's what we do. Like we stay in the target language as much as possible. So like full immersion. Some, that's amazing. Full immersion. Yeah. yeah. That's the point. That's, that's yeah. what we, we get to. And what we're finding in this has been proven in other second language acquisition because this is what's done in every other language that's being taught is when you have people learn languages this way, they actually internalize the language, not only, uh, not only you know, in the short term, but long term, they actually are able to understand Greek and Hebrew as independent languages apart from English. Right. Mm, wow. Greek holds up on its own apart from English. Hebrew holds up on its own apart from English. You don't need English to understand Hebrew. You don't need English to understand Greek. Dang. So what wow. we do is we try to basically as best as we can create conditions where people are organically learning Greek and Hebrew apart from a bunch of grammar just being dropped on them. That's so cool. How did you guys come up with this idea? So this is this second language acquisition is used in uh linguistics you know in just about every i mean this this methodology is standard linguistic right. practice in every classroom in every university except for seminaries and bible colleges that are teaching. that's crazy that's what i was gonna say yeah I've, i that makes a lot of sense except right? when i went took greek it wasn't that yeah. So uh, this would yeah. be my fourth year if I did it. I'd be my fourth year of Greek. <laughs> fourth year. Yes. Uh, <laughs> How'd you get three years in Greek? Uh, go on, David. You were talking. <laughs> <laughs> so what what we do then is we uh, so one of the biggest flaws, one of the lowest or one of the um, the pitfalls of learning language in 
a seminary or university is that the person that teach that is teaching you has been taught by someone who has taught it a certain way and they teach right. it the way they learn and they taught they were teaching it the way that they learned and most of the most of the most of the pedagogical practices used in seminaries and bible colleges are really old and outdated <laughs> and so right. what we try to do we have kevin grasso who is the founder of biblingo this is sort of his brainchild he before actually doing things in i mean he he mainly focused on linguistics and ancient greek but he has a background in like linguistics proper hmm. and wow from his background in linguistics he said this isn't being done in Greek and Hebrew. This needs to be done in Greek and Hebrew, where we are teaching the biblical languages as living languages. Right. As you would every other language. And why are we doing that? Well, because empirically it's far superior than grammar translation mm. that most people wow. do. And this is you again, it's used everywhere for every other language. So why aren't we doing it for biblical languages so that's what we do is we try to give culturally uh, uh, as culturally accurate immersion as possible into the biblical text and you know if we have free if we have a free trial that we let people uh, have for a week or two where they can go see and check out the the app itself to see how this see see how our method works mm. so how much is this subscription after the free trial Oh, geez. I, I'm not sure about the pricing. <laughs> okay. I only teach. I'm not. In terms, we're, we're actually we're actually restructuring things right now in order to make it because what we had was like a subscription based model that sure. didn't really have set goals. Sure. It was sort of like you just sort of went until we were done. But now we're we are restructuring things where we have a set number of classes per um, lessons. So we, what we want to get to is say, after so many lessons, like if you pay for so many lessons and we get to this certain lesson, this is like taking a semester of Hebrew. Oh, wow. Taking a year of Hebrew. And so we're restructuring things to fit closer to an academic model sure. so that we can because what we want ultimately is for people to feel comfortable, you know, use it as a supplement for languages in seminary or Bible college and, you know, either test out or even for pastors who want to brush up on their Greek and Hebrew, but learn it in a, in a way that is fundamentally deeper than what was taught in seminary or Bible college, or I have an entire cohort that none of them are pastors or none of them are scholars none of them want to go do phds they're all lifelong learners wow and all they want to do is just learn hebrew why wow. because they just want to learn more about god that's and amazing it's it's a beautiful group because these people are we're two months in and we're already reading we're reading stories in hebrew i'm asking them questions in hebrew and they are responding in hebrew without any english whatsoever wow we we are at a point two months in where we can have full basic conversations in hebrew without ever going into english 
That's amazing. Yeah. And, and they are like, they're killing it. Like, and these, again, these are, these are my lifelong learners who are just doing it for the love of scripture and for the love of for the love of the language itself. And it's, it may, I have them on Saturday mornings and it, it wakes me up early on Saturday and I am pumped to talk with them in Hebrew because it just, there's something amazing about seeing someone get it. Yeah. 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 When I ask, when I ask them a question, when we just read a story in Hebrew, just a short story, you know, 10 sentences long, you know, um, nothing crazy. We just read a story and I ask them a question in Hebrew and they know what I'm saying without having to go, okay, this is this in English and this is this in English and this is this in English, but they've, associated these words with concepts in their brain the same way we're having this conversation and you guys don't have to process my words through calls and other things when they're getting to a point where they can process this without having to go to english and they get it their response to it is just the best thing like it's right it's beautiful and i love it and i believe in what we're doing it's Mm. just it's so right. Everything that's happened so far is just pointing to the fact that this is clearly the way forward for teaching biblical languages. And it's only a matter of time before people start recognizing that and jumping on our bandwagon because right. it's great. I love it. I love the team we're on. Everybody's great. And we're all, we're all pumped for the future of what we're, what we're doing. And what's the, so, cause you said it was, is it an actual app or is it like just on the, on like, cause I looked for it and I was like, I can't find it. So we don't have an app on the phone. The app okay. is, it's an online app. We we're working with, we're working with a software company to okay. help develop later on digital apps, but it's on, okay. on the web, the, the applications of the web. So what it is, is it's like a hybrid method where you are doing like one lesson a week and then once a week you meet in a cohort and you practice what you've learned that week in communication with others. Okay. So we have small cohorts, awesome. like three to five people where everyone's talking, everyone's listening, everyone's speaking the target language and we're doing as much immersion as possible on top of the actual application that we have built. So yeah. that's just Biblingo is what it's called just org right hmm? is it dot org oh geez um, I, I i looked i'm pretty sure it's yeah i'm pretty sure it's dot org but it is dot org making the biblical languages easier to learn yeah yes so i'm all about the the new ways to learning too like i don't know if you've seen this at all but there's this thing called business made simple university donald miller started okay. and his whole idea is that you can pay this year. And if you go through this track, it'll give you a business degree, but it's much cheaper. It's Mm. all about practical application and really applying what you need to know, which is essentially what I'm seeing for this. It's applying what you need to know how to, how to think, how to understand and how to talk. And, and the talking is really what you're saying. They're syncing it up. So when they're reading it, they're not having to stop and say, okay, here means exactly now I'll keep going. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, Cause that was, that's crazy. That's there's a great conversation that Kevin Grasso had with someone who also teaches Greek, but in a different way. If you go to 
master New Testament Greek on YouTube. He has a conversation with Kevin Grasso about the pros and cons of uh, the Biblingo method, the the way that we do we do our things. And the, he disagrees with Kevin, but I think Kevin wins out. And Kevin, exp- he, he has a longer explanation if someone wants to listen to like an hour and a half longer, long, long conversation on that um, in terms of the pros and cons of our methods. Uh, you know, you can, you can check that out. So yeah, dude, Biblingo, we got to get on it. Let's go. Biblingo, it's great. I love it. I have so much fun. We've had a lot of positive feedback and hopefully I'm not sure what the pricing structure is about where we're still, we're still in flux, but the new pricing structure is going to be cheaper than what the current website reflects. Okay. Okay. Uh, sure. That's at, least, okay. at least at the time we're speaking, uh, you know, obviously that can change, but whatever, you know, if you go on there in July, you know, if you go on there, July 22nd, 2021, the pricing and the structure of how things are going to be different than what it's going to be. And it's going to be more look like more semester. Sure. Than what it is. So, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I I will say even looking at it now, and I I know you said it's subject to change. So, but even just looking at a random one right now of a learner plan annually, $14 a month, $168 annually. Yeah. That's that's for one language. Um, But I'm like, wow that that's so amazing so that that only includes the app if you go to the live yeah. so that doesn't include live instruction that's once a right. week yeah you go to the live tab that will give you the prices or the, that'll tell you more about because it's a it's a bit more expensive just because of the way because um paying instructors for their time is more well, right. you're essentially getting a scholar to sit with you once a week and talk right to exactly but, the price, but just starting out though that's impressive the like, pricing the pricing equivalent equivalent to what you would get in a seminary or bible college it's like 25 to 30 percent of what a normal class is for yeah, sure yeah, that's what for I thought. sure yeah. Yep. yeah so you can get a lot more and, and i think our method is far superior than what is taught in clearly superior yeah you know hashtag uh ncu clearly (laughs) sorry that popped into my head and after three hours (laughs) a gordon anderson quote pops into my head as you're like clearly superior finally i so it's you know 25 to 30 percent of the cost of what most seminary or bible colleges are giving far superior product and you're getting you know, small, small, small classroom experience mm-hmm. uh, with instructors who we got one guy at Oxford getting his PhD, one guy at Cambridge getting his PhD. We've got a guy who ju- Kevin Grasso just finished his PhD at Hebrew University. Um, you know, Whoa. we've got people all over the place at top universities who are teaching this, you know, oh, okay. schmucks. So yeah, it's no joke. <laughs> yeah people who know the language enough to have conversation, to be able to teach it conversationally. And it's awesome. Yeah. It's great. Dude. That's so cool. I think we got to check it out. We should plug it as much as we can. Oh yeah. But I, I believe in it. I think if you can speak it, if you can understand it, that's the whole goal. The whole goal of this whole conversation as we go back to it time and time again is knowing God deeper yeah. What are you thinking about God? What do you believe about right. God? And who are, are you magnifying and glorifying Jesus yep. in everything that you're doing? Yeah, 100%. 
dude well thank you so much for your time this I is just even... episode one well this I'm is sure just we'll, episode we'll, one we'll bring it back for i real, love how though. you said that earlier you're like i'll come back episode episode two and me and zach were both like yeah definitely yeah, for sure 100 100 well, i love it it's been great uh i i love talking about this stuff you guys are wonderful host uh, thank you so much yeah and man thank you so much we can't wait to have you back on again and if someone made it to this time we are three hours in right now i think you should get a potential five dollar off of biblingo you know what i mean that's five though no it's not go extreme i mean we we got to still make money here i mean well that's on, true you know that's I mean? true. five bucks off five bucks we can knock it you know what i mean but thank you so much man i really appreciate it this absolutely. has been an absolute blast and uh, we can't wait to have you back absolutely well thanks for joining us for the longest podcast in the where they've been <laughs> history david smiley brought the fire i hope you stayed to the end if you did man i you got so many things so many nuggets so many hebrew thoughts that maybe you would have never thought in your entire life and it was just absolutely incredible i know i thought it was incredible zach what did you think yeah yeah um i mean i'm sure everybody else that listened to the whole thing and made it this far probably the same thought like i felt like i was taken to church like multiple times yeah um you know, he was obviously going into old Hebrew theology. He was going into Old Testament. He was going into all these things, but he was connecting dots. He was connecting so many dots. And like he was preaching. There's so many moments when I'm just like, I feel like I'm watching. I mean, this pastor is preaching right now, yeah. you know, and then it's just like, to me, I was just enthralled by it. And, you know, obviously, you know, this was the, the first one that you and I did together. So I right. didn't want to just spend the whole time talking because I'm sort of, you know, in it. But at the same time, I was forced to basically listen in the best way possible. Yeah. Um, active so, listening. Active right? listening. Exactly. And I think, you know, my connection to it, you know, David was actually my RA in um, at co- in college. So yeah. that was my connection to him. And he, you know, was there to teach me how to pronounce the first Greek letters of the Greek alphabet. So it's just it's like so cool going back to all that. But I think that he just explains the Bible and the Old Testament specifically in such a clear way mm-hmm. that afterwards I was like, I need to be reading that Old Testament more. for sure. Yeah. You know, I think a lot of times, especially as Christians, we're just like, I got I got the Gospels. I'll read the Psalms every now and then. I'll read some yeah. Proverbs, but I don't want to get in the nitty gritty of the Kings or the right. Ecclesiastes. I don't want to get into that. But like just hearing him speak with his passion, I was like, there's something to this. Like, yeah. and, you know, we both got our degrees and you and I both have our degrees in pastoral um, ministry. So it's just sort of like we should have already had that. But it was a good rekindling of that passion yeah. that he brought. Um, and he actually mentions a few books and I actually went out and I bought three of them. Yeah. Um, so I got the art of biblical narrative that he, re- he mentioned. I got the apostolic that father. But, oh, good point. So the art of biblical narrative by Robert Alter. Okay. And then there's the apostolic fathers by Michael Holmes. Okay. And then the Pentateuch as narrative by John Salehammer. And yeah, I double checked. He said that's like out. his top guy, right? Yes. Yeah. He mentioned that being like his, I don't know what words he used, but yeah, top guy is probably the best way of saying it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm stoked to dig into those um, eventually. And uh, yeah, that was kind of to me just mind blowing of just all of the breadth of knowledge that he had. I don't, I personally didn't have like a quote that was 
because there were so many that was like true. What's you know? So how about you? I mean, I know that you were talking about one. What was one thing that you were like, or multiple things that you took away from this? Yeah, I mean, I I can definitely relate to you what you said on the passion. I think the passion that he had just for scripture and just as he was talking about just like I don't know, just reading all of these old testament texts and and these theologians and the beauty that they describe jesus and the gospel you know one thing he said that i wrote down was he said that every time he picks up the hebrew bible he's awestruck by the sophistication and the intricacies of the writers and it was just like man when i heard that i was like wow and he he mentions like you know people think this is just slapped together it was just kind of thrown together it was verbally passed down willy-nilly he's right. like that's not the case he's like this is extremely intricate it's yep. extremely sophisticated and it's brilliant and i was like right. man that's really true and it's yeah. awesome just to kind of see that person with such a passion for what they're doing obviously it's led into seminary which he's going to pursue a doctorate to his job at yep. a lingo like teaching just incredible things that he was able to do just from that passion and even looking back to the very beginning of the podcast when he talks about the first time he went to his hebrew class with buzz and he said he walked in there and he spoke hebrew and he said right there instantly he was like okay i'm done with psych i'm doing this right exactly and it was just like really cool to see and that passion is still there how many years later right exactly just really encouraged me left me wanting to uh, pursue God in that same way, wanting to have that passion for his word, for his mm-hmm. kingdom come and, and for his narrative, not my narrative, right. Right. his narrative of what yeah. he's writing in. So just unbelievable podcast. Thank you again, David, just literally yep. blew our minds. So cool. I listened to it again. So I've listened to it not only live, but all again in edits. So I've put about seven hours into this podcast and it was worth every single minute. So thank you for listening. Those of you are here. We hope you got something out of it as well. Thank you, David, without, you know, this podcast, we would not be able to hear all these incredible stories. Like it's actually cool. Like I'm like sitting here, I'm like, man, Zach got some books out of the deal. I got my butt kicked in a few areas. Like that's what it's worth. It's, this is what it's all about. So we love it. We're so thankful for each and every person who listen and who share and love. So we're so thankful for you until we meet you again. We love you. Hope you're writing a better story each and every Mm -hmm. day. See you later, gal. Maybe we can walk that road again.